general nerdery. I told you. I told you. <laughs> I'm actually really glad that you had an intro there because you hit record and I went, oh no, I told him we're good to go and I didn't think of an intro. I told you. <laughs> you told me different things than that. Um, <laughs> welcome to General Nerdery, a podcast about liking things, in this case, Ted Lasso, and how he told me about how much I would like Ted Lasso. We're your journals of nerdery. I'm Zach. I'm Tyler. And uh, this is about Ted Lasso, in case that hasn't yet. We'll, we'll get there. <laughs> we'll talk about season one. Season two will be just a couple weeks away by Which the time this drops. It. Yeah. Um, or at least the start of it, because I don't believe Apple drops them all at No, once. I think it does. I'm more and more in favor of, like, actually still doing episodic. I kind of like, oh, I think it was a couple different Amazon series did, like, drop half the oh, season. The did that. I yeah. liked that. So you still like, yeah, I fucking binged still, but I had to be like, nope, I'm not going to get the whole thing in a day and I'm mm -hmm. going to have time to like process. I say this, even though I just binged Ted Lasso four times in the last week. I told you. <laughs> <laughs> and probably Wednesday when my wife is working. Cause four times is like the max I'm willing to put someone through a show that I'm in one of my like, moods mm -hmm. about um we'll get to more oh, of that. right we have a show that we, we have other doing. stuff that we talk about um what have you been ingesting this week um or lately the actually was listening to it on the way here on spotify i found a bunch of the doctor who big finish audio stories mm. uh for those who might not know which is most rational people in Britain, a pretty popular thing, because they still do radio plays and, like, uh, audio dramas, is Doctor Who audio stories. And they get, at this point, they pretty much get every still alive Doctor to come back. But, um, eight. Um, uh, oh, um, again. Yes, Paul McGann. I was literally listening to him less than half an hour ago. Doesn't he have the most of those? He's been he has technically the longest run of the Doctor because between in nineteen ninety six and two thousand five, when like Eccleston stepped aboard, is the longest run of someone continually working on the Doctor. Oh. It's just entirely audio, right? Which is, I mean, good for him. Oh yeah. Since otherwise his claim to fame is... the one bad movie that I really want to do an episode on. Because it's uh, really fun. Yeah. We'll get there. But it's interesting because they, they weren't allowed to use any of those old audio plays as, like, continuity. Mm -hmm. uh, because there's some... One, because it'd be an insane choice to be like, oh, yeah, all of these wild radio plays still count. Same reason Disney was like, all those Star Wars books? Nah. Not fucking with it. Um, but also, apparently on BBC, there's a rule that, like, you can't require people to go to a different company's media. Okay. Because technically, BBC, one, they're public, they're uh, nationally owned. Mm -hmm. and two, they, like, licensed out all of these to Big Finish or a bunch of book companies. But anyways, it's the Eighth Doctor. They're all, like, 50-minute episodes. There's a two-parter, but still. Um, and there's, like... 30 other audio dramas I haven't even gotten to on this playlist that I found of like a bunch of Tom Baker doing stuff. Hmm. It's fun. They can do bigger things because there's, you know, no like visual budget you have to worry about. Yeah. As long as they can describe it properly. 
Mm-hmm. So, like, the current storyline is, and they haven't revealed why the crazy mystery is happening, but they people trapped in what they think is, like, an office building and, like, forced to work forever without realizing it are actually, in this office building is, like, actually basically an AT-AT okay. on an alien world powered by this, like, weird, and everyone's like, why? How? <laughs> but you could never tell, I mean, beyond the fact that this story is insane, you could never tell that story on TV because it would cost so much to do that. And like whoever approves budgets would look at that and be like, no. Yeah. <laughs> it's either Office that or like, ATTs. What's wrong with you? Either ATTs. you get that episode and like five of the other episodes that season have to be bottle episodes. Yeah. Like, <laughs> and it's great. And it's like weird and doofy, but it's also, you know, doctor who it's always kind of weird and doofy. And there's some weirdly poignant things in it. McGann at this point is very, because this came out in like 2007. Mm. And McGann, so McGann at this point is just like the king. He's just like, yep, I've been doing this forever. I know exactly what I'm doing. I don't even have to try that hard anymore. Hmm. That's awesome. Good for him. I always kind of mean to check those out a little bit more just because I know that they exist. And I've looked in a couple of times, but for 50 minute episodes, they're friggin' expensive Mm. to get the CDs. But free? Hell yeah. Very worth it for free. Okay. Okay. This might this might have perked me up a little bit more to, to finally getting around. Mm-hmm. Well we'll see though. I don't know. It it I mean it's just cut into my other there's audio. So, yeah, yeah. There's only so many hours in the day. Um Cool. That sounds good. Anything else? That's the big one. Okay. Um Oh boy. Uh so as soon as, like, we were going to do an episode on Ted Lasso again, that's pretty much been the only thing on my TV oh, yeah. this week. yeah, 90% of what I watched. Um, other than, like, still finishing off a few things in Assassin's Creed. Um, I'm mostly just waiting for the next DLC to drop now. But, I, so I guess I'll, I'll kind of dip into my other pod a little bit, because it was the only other really big thing I ingested. And, like, went to the movies yesterday and went and caught the new Purge movie. It was fun. <laughs> that's the there's no laws so everyone rapes and murders show yeah yeah which there's like 10 of them Ooh, what number is this this is like five i think plus they did a tv series that's ran at least two seasons now i know i've read the wikipedia article on like the purge franchise because if a franchise lasts like five movies eventually like all right i want to know why people like this like i mean they're so they're not my favorite. I have now watched all of them thanks to Fried Squirms. Oh, okay. And like, here's the thing: neither me nor Danny had seen any of them up until like the fourth was coming out. So we're like, let's turn it into a month and watch them all. That makes sense. Good podcasting. Turns out they're kind of fun. They're kind of ridiculous, and for the <laughs> premise, they don't actually get that extreme. Mm-hmm. Um. Here's the other thing. They're also really political. They're like really political. Interesting. Um, And this one was a bit more blunt with it than some of the others, which caused it to be both uh, more, more guessable at times than some, but also like it kind of didn't bother as much skirting around the issues. So they're actually able to like talk about it some too. Without without going into the details, is it very political to the left or political to the right? Uh, 
The opinions are definitely left-leaning. Okay, that does. Actually, you know what? I read a review of what this one's about. That doesn't surprise me at all. Um, yeah, so this latest one is about how the government has been sponsoring this purge program for all these years and has been riling up the populace, and so this time they decide to not stop after being years of being told something. Okay. And it devolves down across, like, uh, basically racist versus everyone else. Oh, all right. Uh, that is literally the best argument I have ever heard to watch a Purge movie, so I'm not gonna, but... No, I don't... I, they're not required watching. I'm not gonna say they're that good, but I did really enjoy this latest one. Like, I've enjoyed watching all of them, so it was actually a good time to go out to the movies and catch that, and... I was glad I did, even though, I will be honest, as much as I enjoyed it, some of the earlier ones I liked more, a little bit more. This one just did a couple things better than some of the others. Well, it's just kind of fun to go back to the movies again, yeah. too, like that. But, uh, sorry, I am trying very carefully not to turn this into another Zack hates horror movies section here. So I'm like, <laughs> no, please tell me more. Um, <laughs> um, no, and I'm also trying not to, like... Spoil it. Yeah, it's only been out for like three days at this point. And I have an entire podcast for talking about horror movies. Okay. But it in, is what I ingested. In that case, if The Purge is your thing, then yeah, definitely go check it out. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Purge is fine. They're fun. Anyway, that's that and Assassin's Creed Valhalla and all of the Ted Lasso. I think I got in another six times this week. Other so. than Ted Lasso and some reading we had to do for... Um, for Noob Island, literally all I have is what my recommendation is, pretty Dude, much. <laughs> Ted Lasso was even on in the background while I was doing that reading for Noob Island, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've, I, uh, anyways. Um, news. News. Newstastic 4. <laughs> I'm at some point going to do something with that so I don't have to say it every time, but... You got to put in some echo or something to it. Newstastic for anyway. Um, so we'll start with the science. So I thought this was kind of neat. Uh, this is another one of those ones that's like super early on, and I'm not. I want to make it very clear that I am not saying that science has found a cure for cancer, but there's been another cancer breakthrough that's kind of neat. Mm-hmm. Well, and we do need to remember with cure for cancer that. That's not how it works, because no. there's a bunch of different kind of cancers, and some things work, and some things don't. Anyways. So this, uh, these scientists have developed a new chemical to help the fight against cancer. The neat thing about it is the way it attacks cancer mm-hmm. compared to other things. Other things that fight cancer generally tend to be some form of poison, and, you're, and the point is to kill cancer. Yeah. What this does is about 50% of cancers uh, end up screwing with a, I think it's a protein, or no, it's a a gene that produces a protein within the cell called uh, P53. P53, under certain circumstances, basically allows the cell to commit suicide before it turns cancerous. So this new chemical untangles that gene and allows it to turn back on. Okay. So it basically takes these cancer cells 
and it allows them to go through what would normally be their natural process when things start attacking them and just commit cell suicide, which doesn't damage any of the tissue around. That's kind of amazing. Um, and I mean, if if they're able to find a way to use that regularly with even a small percent of cancers, that can save a bunch of lives and is way less. One of my friends has been going through, she has to go through cancer treatments pretty much for the rest of her life. Mm. Uh, and they are nasty. The, the, the early numbers I was seeing is that, like I said, only 50% of cancers deal with the P53 gene. So that already is, it's not going to affect all of them. Out of that, this sort of treatment still is only going to affect maybe half to a third. Mm-hmm. And out of that, maybe a half of that is it, it's going to completely eradicate it. And other ones, it's just going to slow it down. But it's a new type of treatment. It's another way to slow it down and let us get a hold against these things. Yeah. Well, in a way that's much, much less destructive. From what I have understood, the quicker you can, like, beat up cancer, the better chance you have. I mean, like, most diseases, that makes sense. So if this is even slowing it down, that increases that amount of time that you have, like, a good chance of recovery. And even... I mean, even if this gets to the point where it helps 5% of cancer patients, that's a lot of people. Yeah, that's a ton that is... of people. Um, so, no, that's I thought it was really cool just because of the way it works compared to, like, we're going to shoot radiation at this cancer. It's yeah. like, no, we're just going to turn this cell back on. Cancer treatment literally is sounds like the uh, creation of one of the Batman Beyond villains. Yeah. Um, um yeah, this is literally just the cells already have a way of doing this that the cancer's attacking. Let's mm-hmm. just nudge the cancer back from that one thing. What I also like about this is I understood what this article meant, <laughs> which sometimes <laughs> is not the case with science stuff. There's a reason I wasn't a STEM major. <laughs> cool. So that's our science. Um, let's see, for our Johnny Storm, our hot big thing, uh, Good Omen Season 2 was announced. Which I thought was a fucking joke when I saw the first Me headline. too! I was like, this is The Onion. Or not The Onion, but like, uh, The this Onion This is clickbait like, purely. Somebody is uh, extrapolating something crazily from an interview. Well, it was on Twitter too, so I'm like, man, I trust that even less than literally <laughs> anything else. The reason why no one expected this, beyond the fact that they kind of told us this wasn't happening, was there is no Good Omens book two. And Terry's dead. And Terry's dead. Uh, So how do you do this? And the answer is apparently, I read a Neil Gaiman article and I went from like, really? To like, let's do this. Mm -hmm. Is... um, Neil, I knew Neil Gaiman and Terry Pratchett had ideas or plans for a book, too. I didn't know how far along it was, but apparently when they were, like, rooming together in a hotel at a con, neither one could sleep thanks to, you know, jet lag and all of that. Uh, so they just hung out all night and, like, plotted out what... What it would be. Yes. And they're like, we're going to make this, Yeah. And then, you know, both Discworld and Sandman took off, like, immediately after that con. Went from, like, oh, this is, like, people are uh, good reviews to, like, everyone loves this. So they just, neither one of them had time, and then Terry died. Yeah. And, like, 
took off in a huge way. I mm-hmm. think it's easy for people to forget that like Sandman was outselling Superman at the time. Yeah, Sandman was possibly DC's best-selling book. That's that's insane. <laughs> and Terry became like Terry started the... putting out like two book two Discworld books a year too. Mm-hmm. Like he was nonstop. Yeah, one of the most acclaimed fantasy series of our lifetimes. Mm-hmm. For good reason. We've mm-hmm. done multiple episodes, so you understand. So with that in mind, and with how much I know Terry wanted Good Omens to be a TV show, or a movie, but preferably a TV show, that made me be like, okay, yeah, I'll trust it. I I don't have as high of expectations for it as I do Good Omens Season 1, because, I mean, I kind of thought it didn't need one anyways, but sure, mm-hmm. if you're going to give it to me, I'll take it. And just, you know... Terry helped plan it, but Terry is also dead. So we're not going to get the, you know, Pratchettisms like mm-hmm. the, he, but he also did pick another comedic writer that they both were apparently fans of, or at least Neil's fans of. Um, I have his name. Hold on. John Finmore. F-I-N-N-E-M-O-R-E. I don't. Okay. I don't rec. I looked him up and I didn't recognize <laughs> him there, but that doesn't mean much, but Cool. I think um, me and your wife were actually talking about this uh, at work a little bit. Mm-hmm. And we're both kind of agree, like, if you're going to go into two and you don't have Terry, then hopefully because of how well they embodied the characters in season one, hopefully uh, Tennant and Sheen had ample input for Crowley and Aziraphale. Mm-hmm. Well, and... Neil promised that we were going to get more in the past moments. Mm. And considering that my favorite part of Good Omen season one is that like half an episode of them through history. And I was like, just give me that for a season. Bring it on. Like, honestly, there's no Terry, but Neil proved that he could write not in exactly Terry's voice, but in that very like comedic way in that scene that I'm willing to trust it. I mean... Poor Neil Gaiman's never going to get to write a book again in his life. Right. Like, he's just—he's <laughs> getting to do too many cool projects and paid good money for it, I'm sure, doing TV and, still, and stuff. Like, and he's still getting to be creative. Yeah, no, like... But it's <laughs> different. Yeah, he's made it very clear he wants to go back to writing novels, but also people keep being like, what about Good Omen Season 2 based off this, like, plans with Terry? And he's like... Yes, I would like to do that very much now. Thank you, please. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I did hear people are super worried that Prodigal Son is going to get canceled now. It's the series that, uh, not Tenet, you said his name moments ago. Um, Oh, Sheen. Sheen has been working on that is supposed to be just excellent. Mm. He's a serial killer in it. Okay. That's, yeah. I feel like he would play a very good serial killer. I agree. I'm going to have to check that out. That sounds up my alley. For a guy that was like... All you said was serial killer, but that sounds up my alley. Yeah, it, no, it's straight up your alley. It's, you know, serial killer helping the police whose son is like a crime... Uh, not yeah. not crime boss, but like crime stopper detective okay. guy. Detective. I forgot the word detective. Hmm. Um, you know, I was thinking about this. For being possibly my least favorite storyline in all of 30 Rock, Michael Sheen is amazing. I really hated his character and the entire plot line in 30 Rock that he mm. was in. But he did play a douchey Brit pretty well. So, like, still, Michael Sheen did a good job. <laughs> um, I mean, I've, I've said it before. I just, 
I look at him and I see uh, Lucian from the uh, Underworld franchise. I know I saw the first one, but I mean, it was in theaters and it was the day I got back into Western comic books. Like literally I bought an issue of Batman on the way to the theater and read it in the theater instead mm-hmm. of watching, which come on kid. That's a terror. Like, it, but um, I don't, I remember the lady was hot and I called the vampire werewolf blend, the Brown Hulk for the rest of his life. Yeah. But um, um, I'll bring up a picture of him. Cause this is hilarious. Um, Cause he's like, Rockstar werewolf. You know, Underworld was kind of like Twilight, that the like quality of actors that they got is absolutely incredible for movies that probably did not deserve them. It is what I like about British actors. British actors will be in just about anything if you pay them. Damn. I would not have known that was him. <laughs> that is quite a wig he's wearing there. You will never convince me that that's his hair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that that happened at one point. That is... No, that's... I. We have just reached the point that I don't believe you anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Listeners, if you have not watched Underworld a bunch, go look up Michael Sheen Underworld. It's an experience. Um, I, yeah, I kind of really dig those movies. He kind of looks like the guy who played Thor in Oakenshield in The Hobbit. Oh, yeah, he kind of <laughs> does, doesn't he? That's funny. Um, anyway, yeah, so what was that? That was our hot? That was our hot, yeah. That was right, our hot. we're doing the news. Yeah, we're still on the news. Oh, my God, I'm so sorry, listeners. No, we just started, like, <laughs> I mean, it was good omens talk that it's mm. going to happen. All right, uh, uh, Invisible Woman. Yeah, so you may have missed this. Because it's based on an IP from the 80s that even I didn't give a shit about until they announced the voice cast and we talked about it uh, a few months ago. But we actually have a story trailer for Kevin Smith's Masters of the Universe Revelation for Netflix. News, like, nerd news sites have not shut up about this series, so, like, I think most of the world didn't miss it, but you and I were like, whatever, Masters of the Universe. Um, I don't know, man. Like, most... I feel like most nerd news sites are still ran by like our age nerd. None of these younger nerds that I work with, like hardly any of them have even heard of fucking heat man. You and I are in a really weird point of you're a little more into the eighties cartoons than I am, but I am like right at that point that the cartoons I remember are after like he man ended. And like what I remember of the old Ninja Turtles cartoon, which is even later in mm-hmm. He-Man, is like the final few seasons where I finally mm-hmm. got old enough to like have, you know, keep some of mm-hmm. that. Because I am, I turned 33 this week, so I'm right in that middle point. See, um, He-Man's one of those blank spots for me for the most part. Like, I remember seeing images of it Oh, I fucking hate up. He-Man. Like, for most of my history... Um, when I was in middle school, so around 2000 to 2003, they did a He-Man reboot and it came out at the same time as a Transformers reboot. Right. And I know that, uh, I got into an argument with my friend who has hearing aids because he liked the He-Man one better because the He-Man one had better captions. Hmm. Like, the the Transformers captions, for whatever reason, were just garbage. Garbage, yeah. Uh, and I was like, you're insane! And in retrospect, I'm like, no, that makes perfect sense. I was an asshole as a 12-year-old. I'm sorry, Anders. But, uh... <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, oh, I did not... 
like it. Uh, and I like Conan. So a lot of people have been like, yeah, like He-Man, right? And I'm like, how dare you? Yeah. <laughs> but I'm looking forward to watching this one, honestly. I mean, that trailer looks pretty good, right? Yeah. Well, and it's Kevin Smith, and I trust Kevin Smith, and... Even more than trusting Kevin Smith, like, I'm a Kevin Smith fanboy, even more than that, I trust that Mattel's not going to let him fuck it up. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> well, and, like, Kevin Smith talked about no one trusting him to do an action movie, but I read the Green, uh, the Green Hornet mm. comic that they made based off the movie he wrote in the 90s that never got made, and honestly... It kicks a lot of ass. Like, Kevin Smith has a pretty good pacing for action movies when there's someone to stop him from getting too dialogue heavy. Right. And from what I understand with writing this, he doesn't have to write much of the action. Mm -hmm. He writes the dialogue up to the action and gets to go, and then they fight. (laughs) (laughs) And they do cool action stuff, yeah. And if there's important things that have to be said during the fight, those get added in. Yeah. Yeah, and it's, I was reading an interview with Kevin Smith, and he talked about, he's like, you know, the the guy at Netflix who contacted me, he actually gave a name, but I don't know what it is, um, is also a big He-Man fan, so he's like, I understand you're going to make jokes, but you're not allowed to make fun of He-Man as a property. You need to take this, like, serious, while you can still be self-aware that this is based off a toy commercial. Mm-hmm but like go big and Shakespearean with it. And I'm like, well, that's a really interesting way of taking this. Like, yeah. I know Kev said that it, the dialogue's kind of fun. Cause he's just getting to write bad Shakespeare. Yeah, that could be. And I make it sound like it's just Kev writing. He writes the first episode and is the showrunner, but there's like a writing staff. So <laughs> mm-hmm. it's not just Kev, but yeah, that's the other thing that makes it work. There's other people to, as I said, to like be like Kev, they have been talking for like, Five minutes now of a 25-minute episode. It's time for some action. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, like, I don't care about He-Man, and uh-huh. I'm, I'm in. I'm down. Like, it looks like an interesting story. I'm curious to see what happens with everything that was shown in that trailer, and some of that action looked bonkers fun. Oh, yeah. Uh, it kind of looks like a cross between He-Man and, like, the animation style of the Avatar shows. Mm-hmm. I mean, still... Very, very He-Man, but, like... And the Avatar shows are still, even almost 20 years later, some of the best animated work I've ever seen, so bring it on. Um, It does light a fire under my butt to finish She-Ra, even though I know they're not connected, connected. just because it goes, oh, right, the this world, you know, Grayskull is in my head again. Right. Plus, I mean... We talked about it back when they first announced it, but the voice cast in that show is fucking ridiculous. It's great. And just even some of the small parts. Like, we watched a little Kev reaction, and I don't know if I realized that Triclops is being voiced by Henry Rollins, but he pointed that out, and I'm like, oh, yes, please. Like, this is going to be I was only vaguely aware that Triclops existed, so... Uh, And then Justin Long, and I know who Justin Long is. Like, he's not huge, but, I mean, he's been a movie star. Um, I love some Justin... Kev gets some of the best performances out of Justin, so I'm super Oh, he's excited. good. He's, um, he's playing a guy that I literally don't think I've ever heard of. Did it say his name was Roboto or yeah, something Roboto. like that? Yeah, Yeah, I don't, I know nothing about Roboto. I only knew Triclops existed. I'm pretty sure Ralph Garman's getting to be Fisto, which makes me pretty happy. Um, I just 
can't hear the name Fisto and either think of, I, I either laugh because it sounds dirty or uh, think of Star Wars where it still sounds dirty, but. Uh, right. Um, Mark Hamill. Oh yeah. Mark. I heard that Mark Hamill laugh and I was like, yeah, I'm watching this. I, I won't watch everything Mark Hamill did, but if I know he's in it, I'll usually give it a chance. Mm-hmm. Kevin Conroy is Merman. I don't know how much he's even going to be in it. But Kevin Conroy. I can't hear the name Merman without hearing fucking Mer-man. Ben Man. Yes, Ben Stiller from Zoo. <laughs> Merman pops. And I was like, oh no, oh I'm gonna do that a lot. Uh you caught what Sarah Michelle Geller uh-huh. as Tila right off the bat. I went through a year where I binged most of Buffy. Um Yeah. Lena Hetty is evil in. It's gonna be dope. Seeing her not play because no, no, she is still playing a bad guy, isn't she? Yeah. Okay. It seems like they're having to team up with the bad guys. It's true. I want Lena Headey to play a good guy in literally just one movie or show. Not, like, morally gray and complicated. I think she actually has a... I mean, she's a great actress no matter what, but I think it'd be kind of fun to... Um, partly because I wouldn't trust the character because I'm like, that's Lena Headey. About the 1994 live-action Jungle Book. She was Jane. I remember that movie, because I remember when it came out, it was a big deal, but, like, I doubt I've seen it while my age range is in the double digits. Like, um, I'm pretty sure John Cleese was her butler? I want to say you're right that John Cleese is in that, but again, I doubt I knew who John Cleese was at that age. Like He was actually the draw for me. That was early in my Python. By that age, I had, like, you know, watched Monty Python and stuff, but I don't think I was quite at the point where I was paying attention to who actors were. Mm. Just, oh, he's in Monty Python, kind of, like. She was the draw, and also I can't remember his name, but the guy that played Mowgli played uh, Bruce Lee in the made-for-TV biopic, which I had actually seen, like, four times. She was like, cute, and I am... I can't even bring him up, but I'm sure he's ruggedly 90s handsome. Like, um, <laughs> um, There we go. That's... Uh, on to our next piece of news. Oh, right. Uh, now we get to have fun. Well, no, mm, not so much. Not uh, so, we get to end <laughs> on a sour note before we get to talk about Ted. But I... We get to talk on an interesting note, I think, but it's definitely much more of a downer. So we have talked a lot on this show, or a reasonable amount on the show, about Warren Ellis and allegations against Warren Ellis that he was a creep. That he was abusive. Not, I don't think any accusations of assault ever came up, but that he just... He took advantage of his position, mm-hmm. for sure. Abuse, I just... Yeah, abused his power in the I think it's important when we talk about, you know sexual allegations Mm -hmm. of the difference between like, we're not saying it's good, but we're also not saying he, you know, assaulted somebody. Right. Uh, I'm sorry. Bill Cosby got out the week that this came out. So I have very strong opinions, but that's, I'm not talking about that. Ben Templesmith, who had worked with Ellis before announced that he was finishing fell, which was the comic they worked on together with Warren Ellis at image comics, which if, the, all the accusations against Warrens hadn't come out would have been huge news because Fell is one of Ellis's best works, but it came out during a period where Ellis would do six issues and then just get bored and launch a new comic. Like, Fell is amazing. Mm-hmm. But also, 
Warren Ellis has not been working because it turned out that he was a creep. And, there, you know, there's a lot of, like, questions of, are we ready for Warren Ellis to come back? Like, has he has he shown he's learned or at all or like paid any kind of penance or, you know, addressed these issues that were brought up against him. And a bunch of people expressed discomfort about it, including like Scott Snyder. And I think James Tinney and the fourth. Yeah. James Tinney and the fourth, which are like some of images biggest names right now. There's some of yeah. the biggest names in comics being like, Oh God, we don't really know how we feel about working with Warren. And the people who brought the accusations against him were like, hey, we didn't say he should be canceled, but like there needs to be a reckoning. And he's done nothing to get a hold of any of us. And there's over 40 of us. So like it would be easy to do so. So we're not saying he can't work, but also like show some responsibility. Mm -hmm. uh, and it got to the point that Image actually made an announcement being like this announcement was made, you know, without our consent. Uh, we do really want to finish fell. They've always, we've always made it open to them that they're welcome, but like Warren has to mend some bridges first before we will work with him. So he announced that he's like going to work with them and stuff, but it got, it was like the thing to talk about on comic Twitter for a couple days. Cause he's a huge name and this is like, this is really the gray area when calling out problematic people of is there a point where they're allowed to return to work or are they just done in an industry or like, so it's just, it, it came up. Um, well, and in the midst of all this, I saw that he sort of finally issued a statement himself. Yeah. Which honestly is a better one than a lot of other statements we see from people. Also, like his first statement was not great. Like when I first, I remember when we talked about this the first time and I was and talking about how I am just like thirsty to forgive Warren Ellis. Cause he's mm -hmm. like my favorite writer. He has been since I was a kid, but also dude, you can't act like you can't yeah. behave like that. So like, I was, I was so desperate to be like, no, he gave him a statement. He did good. But uh, I reread it. And I'm like, this is not, this was not a good statement to make Warren. So him being like, yes, I've been getting some, I, th I think he said he's been getting some therapy and like, he's going to reach out and talk to, I know I should group. probably, I um, mean, to give him, I mean, hold we on, could, I we could probably have, have it in front of us. I remember it being better than the second one. It sort of sparked off its own wave of conversation. Is he only releasing it because this is a conversation again? Would we have crucified him harder had he released this right away? Just saying that, like, if he had said this too soon, would we would still be having a conversation because when is the right time to say this? Like, yeah. And this one was much more complicated because this wasn't like this person should be in jail, but like this person needs to get called out on it. Mm -hmm. we're, and they even openly said, we're not saying that he shouldn't receive work ever again, or that you like can't read his stuff. So it was just, this whole thing has been very much in the grays. Yeah. I don't even want to say messy, just difficult. Um, I got a statement here. I was made aware of the, so many of us collectives offer of a mediated dialogue and have today asked their permission to enter that dialogue where that will take us. I'm not sure, but I know I want to make certain that I'm doing all I can to no longer be part of the problem or in any way, still perpetuating the past. I hope these conversations will be ongoing and productive for all of us. Uh, and then they replied to that. 
so many of us being the like 40 plus women. Mm -hmm. Um, Author Warren Ellis reached out to this collective for the first time today. We will update this site when the pro when appropriate, as we attempt to begin a transformative justice journey, they're sounding pretty open to conversation and they are not obligated to do that. Mm -hmm. Like they, they definitely could have just been like, fuck that guy. And I would have been like, yeah, that's fair. So I sure hope that he does go into this with a real, real attempt. Uh, and there's a chance. There is a chance. I mean, there's also a really big chance that he's just talking out of his ass and wants to work again. Like, yeah. I'm not wanting to write that way. But he also did fight really hard to bring more women into comics in various levels. So, I don't know. Again, I'm so thirsty to forgive him. I really yeah. want to read his stuff. Like, if he gives a shit again, he could be doing the best work of his career if he, like, fixes his problems here. I think um, I think it's just going to be interesting to continue to see how it develops, mm -hmm. I guess. And to see how things shake out as it actually goes forward. And to hope yeah. he just doesn't... I mean, it's not like... It's not one of those situations where, like, his writing was problematic and he has to ch fix things artistically. Some of his writing was problematic, but that's mostly because he enjoyed being the dirty old man too much. Right. But, um, but this is just like knockoff being a creep. Yeah, exactly. So like, let's it's, just, let's give some more time and see what happens. <laughs> yeah. I mean, again, we're both big fans of his work and it might just be that I'm don't like him as a person. I, yeah. anyways, um, I don't know too early to say, on that note, let's go to the exact opposite of this bummer of a conversation. <laughs> and when we come back, we'll talk about the most weirdly positive thing I've ever seen in my life. I told you. I knew you were going to enter with that. Oh, my God. <laughs> I almost introed with he's here, he's there, he's every fucking where. Roy Well, that's better than uh, Jamie Tart. Fuck Jamie Tart. But also, like, well done, Mr. Actor Guy. This is one of those interesting shows. I mean, for a lot of reasons, but uh, for when people have asked me, because I've asked several people if they've seen the show, because I couldn't stop thinking about it. Yeah. Um, and all of them were like, no, what's that? I'm like, ah, oh, fuck. Uh, I need someone to talk about the show with, like, in the meantime. I mean, my wife and I talked about it a lot. But, like, while I'm at work, I need someone to talk about the show with. And they're like, what's it about? I'm like, it's about an American football coach that goes to Britain to teach or to coach British football, but it's not That's really not, like, yeah, you don't, <laughs> you don't have to care about the football is the least important part of this show. Although it did make me care about a sport in a way that I don't think I've cared about since remember the Titans. And I don't even know why. Oh, well, Denzel Washington is why I cared so much. On that yeah. One. Well, um, Patton is pretty great too. The guy who played Turk on Scrubs, Donald Faison. Um, <laughs> oh shit! Yeah, he, he was in yeah. that. He was one of the. Anyways, that is not this episode. I don't think we could do. Never mind. Onwards. <laughs> um, um, there's actually a lot of people in that movie I like. Anyway. <laughs> oh yeah, remember Titans was great. Uh, um, yeah, so it's what is it? it's a show based on a series of commercials, which I didn't know until about half an hour before we started recording. Even less, like sat down. You're like. Let's watch these first. Like, I didn't know these existed. Um, about an American football. It's about a coach who is relentlessly optimistic and just tries to genuinely bring out the best 
and everyone around him. What's interesting is watching those commercials, Ted Lasso's the worst. Yeah, he's not nearly as lovable in those commercials. He's like super optimistic about everything, but he's also like everything a bad coach does. Well, in and this show, he's more optimistic in the commercials because he's dumb. Mm-hmm. Well, he's very smart in this. Mm-hmm. I can see why Jason Sudeikis is like, yes, I will make uh, a TV show based off these commercials, but we're going to reinvent who Ted Lasso is in the process. Um, I I know Sudeikis was on the writing team. I want to say it's Bill Lawrence's, I think, showrunner. He's at least heavily involved in the show. Developed by Bill Lawrence, Sudeikis, and Brandon Hunt with Joe Kelly. And Lawrence did um, Scrubs. Oh, okay. So... Oh, yeah, and Cougar Town and Spin City. Okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm not huge on Cougar Town, and I only... I I saw, like, bits of Spin City when it was originally airing, but, like, Scrubs is one of my all-time favorite. If you're going to talk sitcoms, it's top three. Top five at the worst. And then Brendan Hunt being Coach Beard. Oh, okay. He's my favorite part of this show, I think. Like, every time we learn a little bit more about Coach Beard, he becomes more interesting. Put the game before the dame again, didn't you? (laughs) But the game is chess. Uh, And they do a really good job of, I always want more Coach Beard, and it's really easy with those characters, and hopefully they don't do this in season two. Oh, They're like, oh, everyone wants more of this, so let's give them more, and eventually you're like, that's too much Coach Beard, or that's too much, I don't know, Kenneth from 30 Rock. Or whoever. So I always leave a character like Beard with me wanting just a little more. Um, quick question before we go farther. Wait, than this. before we go any further. Okay. Because we are talking about this in preparation for season two, I'm not going to worry if spoilers for season one drop in. Especially so we can actually talk about the development of some of these characters if we want to. Yes. So that's kind of a warning. If you're listening, and honestly, the two people that I'm going to say this to specifically is Will and Steven, who have both guest starred, and will text me their opinions on our episodes, which I super appreciate. Stop listening right now. Go watch, watch the, the show. show. I will help you watch it. Like, that's, I'll, I'll hook you up. And then come back and listen to this. I'm currently batting a thousand with this show. Everyone I've recommended it to has loved it. Mm-hmm. To the point where one of them bought a fucking shirt of it within the week he watched it. They have shirts? Uh, well, of course they have shirts, but like, hmm. I mean, I think he got it off like Etsy, so like fan-made, but. Guess what I'm going to totally not Google when we finish recording today. Yeah, he's got the Roy Kent. <laughs> <laughs> so, Ted Lasso. Ted Lasso. Um, Going into this, as pointed out, I'd probably already seen it about 14 times. I so, was the one that suggested doing this episode. Because I had watched a few clips the night before we last time recorded. I had talked uh, it up. I had mentioned the premise. Mm-hmm. What what ended up being different about it going into it than what you were expecting? Since you're the newcomer. I'm not sure because it was one of those things, and this has come up a couple of times on this show since we recommend something every time, mm-hmm. of I remembered you recommending it and it stuck in my head, oh, Tyler really likes this. But... What it was about didn't stick. didn't stick with me at all. Um, and then I knew Brian Lawrence had gone on uh, uh, Zach Braff and Donald Faison's podcast and had talked about it. And so I was like, oh, oh, the Scrubs guy's involved. Like, I would like this. And 
but I think I I saw there was a trailer for season two, so I was like, all right, I'll check that out. Uh, but I don't I don't think I rem- knew anything about really what was going on. Other than like, oh yeah, oh right, this is the football one. So kind of all of it. You had told me he was really positive. I remembered that. Mm-hmm. But like understanding the level of that is remarkable. I think the biggest accomplishment this show has is there is one villain in this entire show. And it'd be so easy for there to be... Mr. Head? Yeah. Anthony Head, who kills it in being a smarmy dickhead. Oh, he is the fucking worst. And I love Anthony Head. Like, he's he's Giles. Giles was straight up the best part of Buffy, as far as I was concerned. Um, yeah, I... I mean, whenever I see Anthony Head, I want to like him. Mm-hmm. And he plays villain so well, though. He's such a dick in this. But I still wouldn't be surprised, like, just by the way it works, if they redeemed him in season two. Right, because... Because it's Ted Lasso. But, like... So there's two brilliant things in this show to me. Mm-hmm. Um, both are kind of things that we're touching on right now. First is the character of Ted is not treated as a joke. No, everyone keeps starting with, is this a joke? And then they're like, oh, God, it's real. But I think during our lifetime, thinking about the different sitcoms we've seen, even if you haven't watched them religiously, that we've seen come to popularity that actually hit the main screen stream that stick around for a couple of years, a character like this is only ever introduced as a joke. Yeah, I'm trying to think of another character. I think the closest I can really come to is either JD from Scrubs... Or the tick? The tick would work, but even that, the you know, the tick's, like, optimism stupidity. And that's the other thing. They're always dumb. Yeah. They're either is. a sad sack or dumb. Because, like, I was going to say Charles Boyle on Brooklyn Nine-Nine, but he is definitely treated as a joke. Mm-hmm. Like, they take him seriously as a character, but, like, his constant optimism is a joke as opposed to just... Him. An examination? Yeah. <laughs> what I also love about it, though, is they're allowed to treat it like... This is a little much, dude. Yes. Because it, it's that person, truly abnormal. <laughs> uh, and this is, goes along with, uh, it doesn't, they don't really villainize everyone. It would be so easy for his, by the end of the season, ex-wife, at the beginning, estranged wife, who tells him, like, your constant, constant optimism is too much. It'd be so easy to make her a bad guy. And they do not, for a second, make the ex-wife a bad guy. And you never see that no. in TV. No, and that was the other point I was going to get at, is that every quote-unquote bad guy throughout the season, mm-hmm. other than Anthony Head, we see isn't a bad guy. There's somebody who's hurt. Yeah. Rebecca is clearly set up to be the bad guy in the first episode, and I think I had an inkling because I watched a few clips not realizing their significance Oh, mm-hmm. um, because I was like, this trailer was really fucking good. What is this show? So I kind of knew, but Cece was like, oh, that's the bad guy. And by the end, she is actually by like episode three. She is a very like relatable character. And you have to kind of remind yourself of like she's doing some pretty shitty things uh-huh. through most of those episodes. You get where she's come. I mean, you it, understand why she thinks why she's giving herself permission to do these things. So for reference, if you haven't watched this show and you're still listening for some reason, you know, like spoilers, uh, the character of Rebecca owns the football team. She got it in a divorce with Anthony Head, who's a prick. Um, We cannot emphasize this enough. (laughs) He is virulent. Jesus Christ. 
give him an Emmy for that. Um, but the only thing he's ever really loved is this soccer team. So she decides she is going to destroy it. And she hires Ted Lasso as part of that plot being like, he's an American football coach. Like, College-level American football coach. Who's, who's best known for going viral in a video with his players. For, like, dancing. Like, he he's going to destroy everything. And then he instead just heals everything around him? Yeah. Or starts to? That's the other thing. And we'll get to... I, I want to continue the thought, but I appreciate that Ted Lasso, beyond just it being able to acknowledge that his optimism is too much sometimes, he's also allowed to be wrong. Yes. There's moments where you're like, no, Ted is one of the best moments in the series. But back to Ted healing everyone. It is, it, it's talked a lot about when people are talking about healing from trauma, that sometimes one of the most important things you can have is just someone who believes in you. And no matter who you are, Ted believes in you. And he acknowledges you mm -hmm. and what you do. And when you do something good, like, and he's very good at the compliment sandwich, but it feels like genuine. Mm -hmm. uh, and when he does lose his temper at you, it's never like you fucking, son of, he, it's just, this is wrong. We're talking about practice, Jamie. Oh my God. That's, I have had to watch that scene a couple of times. Uh, Jamie Tart is the douchey but like super talented young soccer star who's like the rest of the teams hold me back. I don't need them who goes to war with Ted's everyone matters thing. Mm -hmm. And he's like, I can't, I can't play cause I'm hurt. Totally coach. Yep. Swear. Totally hurt. Well, clearly not hurt. And Ted it's, I think the first time we see Ted lose his temper. Yeah, absolutely. And it is just so good. A scene. And, he never insults Jamie in any of it is the amazing thing. Right. He just, he lets him know very sternly what mm -hmm. he's doing and what he's interrupting with this. And why it matters. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then afterwards when people are like, oh my God, we saw Jamie Willing. He's like, nope, nope, we have no time for that. Uh, how do we want to, uh, how do we want to go through this? That's a good question. This that is, we probably should have talked about before we started yeah. recording. And then even myself, like I was gonna, I was gonna take actually like good notes for this, and then I just watched the show. I yeah, I just got sucked into the show and like wouldn't stop it and do things because like there's cool things in some of the episodes with the ways that like uh, like there's good episodic writing in which oh. some of the episodes actually have themes running through it where you get to see the different groups of characters. Uh, approach similar problems and deal with them in different ways. Well, here, do we want to go episode by episode or character by character? Cause I think that's the best way of, I mean, I'm down for whatever. I think I'm leaning more towards by episode. Okay. Uh, cause the character growths are so intertwined. You know, the first episode is him showing up. Mm -hmm. Obviously we find out Rebecca wants to nuke the team. Uh, we it's, get introduced to most of the major players. It's Ted. a standard ep uh, setup episode. Yeah, Coach Beard. Coach Beard is so good. Coach Beard is his, like, weird, quiet, rational He's kind of the straight he's, man, but he gets some jokes. Yeah, he's a weird guy, but he does play the straight man role. You know, one of the jokes is Ted doesn't know anything about... English shit. English 
or English football in particular, <laughs> but like English anything. But Coach Beard is the guy that like read like 15 books before going in, made sure he knew everything. And he, uh, the important thing I think about Beard is Ted Lasso would not work at all without Coach Beard. Right. On any way, shape, or form. Like, and, and you see the loyalty that Beard has for him, and it's very touching. Like, there's a moment, and we'll get to it in one of the later episodes. We'll get to it in the later episode. I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, who else do we meet? We, um, we meet Leslie Higgins. Leslie Higgins. We don't learn his first name until the end of the series, but he's Higgins. a feminine junior. Because, of course, he would be. Named after his mother. And we don't get much with Higgins. At this point, he is just a kind of... He kind of comes across as just like a bootlicker Yeah. in this one. You know, he is now working for his former boss's wife, who he helped his boss cheat on this wife. Right. Like, helped sneak, you know, because he was his boss's like personal aide or something like that like yeah so he would basically find ways to go distract her while boss was banging women everybody yeah everybody um and then we meet the soccer players right um not all of them because you don't get maybe one of the best ones till way later in the season (laughs) Uh, but i mean we meet roy roy and jamie are the big two from the get-go uh roy being he was He used to be, like, one of the best soccer players in the world, but he is old now. Or, like, you know, soccer old. So he's, like, late 30s. Um, I think? I think so. He is angry. And I think the first line... He was angry when he was young. And so now that he's getting old, he's not any better. Furious. (laughs) I think the first line he ever says is, Oi, if I don't get quiet, I'm going to start punching punching dicks. dicks. And, like, damn, I knew who Roy was immediately. Um, and he's then, also on the writing staff. Oh, that's great. I did not know that. Um, and then we also meet Sam, whose full yeah. name I cannot remember off the top of my head. He is Sam, from Nigeria. Uh, Abasanya. Abasanya. Thank you. Uh, Sam, you get more throughout the season. The first episode, It does the first episode do the goldfish thing, though? That's either the first or the second. Uh, but Sam is one of those, and it's a thing that Bill Lawrence is very good at, of having a huge cast of characters, even if like five or six are your dominant ones, but all of the characters feel like fleshed out and they all get growth. Mm -hmm. Uh, Sam is a secondary character, but that's in no way an insult on the actor or on the character of Sam. He just, he doesn't get the same amount of screen time as everyone else. There's a whole team. You have to make it feel natural. Some of them will get more screen time than others. That but is everyone should get a little my only critique time. of this show. And it's not a big critique, but it is one. This cast is super white. Like the main cast. Oh, the main cast. Yeah, the main cast is. I was going to say the team is actually the team is pretty. But I only know the names. I know the names of three of them, but that's because I've watched the show four times in two weeks. Like by the end of it, I knew Sam's name and. One of the ones that comes up later, but like I could not remember Zoro's name for Zoro. Zoro. Uh, or um, I still don't know the big guys. And they say it several times. Oh, I guess that's not entirely true. Nate. Nate. But still, I mean, if I have to think this hard to think of like a major character of color, that's 
not the best. It's not I, a huge I wouldn't critique. be so, I wouldn't be surprised though if this was a pretty accurate representation of the coaching staff of most Premier League Almost teams. Almost a hundred percent sure. Um, and a lot of these characters still got good growth and good development, and in season two could go much bigger. It's not a breaking point by any point, but I wanted to say at least one critical thing, mm-hmm. especially after last week's, like, this book is great. Let's just pick it apart for, like, an entire two hours. <laughs> um, uh, anyways, yeah, we learn in this... We uh, we meet... Um, I, we met, just mentioned Nate's the... Uh, he's the... Bagman, I think, is the term. Yeah, like he's Kitman. Kitman. He Bagman is a fucking term for assassinating people. <laughs> <laughs> for a mob hitman, Nate would be the. I would super watch a show where it turns out that Nate the Great is a mob hitman. Yeah. Oh my god, Bill Lawrence, call us. Don't. That would ruin this show. Yeah, Nate is clearly like a soccer. Knows everything about soccer. Loves soccer. Is exactly what Lasso needs. But he also is. One of the most awkward people I've ever met, not met, but like seen in my life. But I like that it's done awkward in a way that I'm like, oh, buddy, as opposed to like, I want to leave the room. Right? He's yeah. just, he's not cringe. Yeah, he's just awkward. He just doesn't know how to talk to people. He just doesn't know what to do with life. When he tries to recreate one of Ted's jokes in an episode, it... And he messes it up. He goes to, like, introduce him to the boss, and he can't say words. Like, he'll just randomly, like, walk away, just like, nope, I'm done now. That was weird. <laughs> and watching his growth through this season is just... um Because he's still him at the end. But... His growth, realistically, is maybe too quick, but it's perfect for the pacing of this show. When you only have ten episodes... This is where I would want him to be at the end of yes. the season. Um, if they didn't give it all of this, his story would feel unfinished. Mm-hmm. We'll get to that to the final episode. Uh, most of this is like, look at Ted. He's serious. Oh, wait, we have one more Keely. character. Keely, who is a force of fucking nature. She's fucking cute as a button, can rhyme her ass off. <laughs> no wonder they want to destroy her. Keely is, in her own words, someone who is sort of famous for being sort of famous. She is, she's not like an Instagram influencer, but you know, she does. Uh, she's like a low level model. Yeah. She models for like vodka commercials and like she's rich, but not like stupid rich. She's, she's living comfortably uh-huh. and is in the right circle. So she's always with a bunch of rich people. Not that she's like living off of them, but just like she's in it says more about me than it does this show, the the fact that she owns a house. And I was like, oh, yeah, she's doing well for herself. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, it's a pretty nice house. It also is a suite. I want that house. <laughs> yeah. I don't want it in London. I just want it. No, that's a nice house, though. So, um, like, she's doing well for herself. Yeah. Uh, and she's dating, you know, the prize. Jamie. It's catchy. I'll give it that. She's dating the, like up-and-coming young footballer. Um, but where everyone else is thrown off by Ted, she's like, you're a little weird, but I like you. Like, she's... She doesn't have the same optimism that Ted has, but she does have a very, like, life is interesting and I'm awesome, kind of. She's she's mm-hmm. very aware of how cool she is. In a weird way, Jamie is just, like, the toxic version of that. Yeah, that's actually a good way of putting it, because he's like, I'm Jamie Tart, I'm amazing. And you're like, 
fuck off. And she's like, I'm Kaylee. Me. I'm great. And I'm like, me. Yeah. He scores goals and he's just cheering me. Um, there's an ongoing gag. I think it's in this episode. It's this or the next one of Kaylee is asking people, would you rather be a panda or a lion? And like getting people's responses. Oh yeah. That's the next one. Yeah. And yeah. his, and Jamie's response is, I'm me. Why would I want to be anything else? And like Ted approves, but also God, I, that's the douchiest way to answer that question. Oh, only other big revelation is we find out that Ted has a uh, wife and son at, at home, home, and he's he clearly loves them both very much, but there is marital difficulties going on. Yes. We don't meet her or anything. We only hear his side of a conversation with them on the phone. And but, it's suddenly, like, it's almost like a bittersweet ending, because you can hear how happy he is just to talk to them. But hearing his side of it, you're like, oh, and no. hearing she clearly is not wanting to be having this conversation, like, but again, even at this point, it it would be easy to turn her into a villain, but it doesn't necessarily feel like a villain. It's not like a screaming bitch fight. It's just Jason Sudeck is throwing off his acting chops like a champ. Absolutely. <laughs> um, episode two. Episode two is when we start uh, biscuits with the boss. Uh, biscuits being cookies. Episode two is Sam's birthday Mm -hmm. and is the picture being taken. Episode two is much more about Lasso actively starting his job as opposed to like, I have arrived and I'm figuring this out. He's trying to figure out how to connect with like his boss and his players. And it's especially Jamie, especially Jamie, because Jamie is. The star, I mean, he says in this episode, you were pro you were easily the best athlete I have ever coached. ever coached. But in a great line of like, you're so sure you're one in a million that you forget when you're out there that you're just one of eleven. Like you need to be part of a team. This group will be better if you can get over yourself enough to work with this team. And you start to see the lasso. The lasso way. Uh-huh. Is it this episode or last episode where he talks about uh, meeting or enjoying watching Roy play out there and Roy is shitty to him. He's like, man, I think he's mad now. Wait till we win him over. Oh, he'll yeah. be furious. <laughs> so good. Cause that is I, like, as soon as they said that line, it was so funny. I think that's the second episode. Uh, I started now. watching him do it as like mm -hmm. watching that, watching him do that, watching him slow, like specifically looking for that happening. And he's right. People get, like, pissed, for the most part, when they realize how much they like Ted Lasso. Which, actually, that's a... I know that we didn't talk much about this episode, but that's a perfect way to go into episode three if... And we can just combine sort of talking about them, because episode uh, three is the Trent Krim one. Yes, before we do that, yeah. I want to talk about... You mentioned the photo. Uh, Rebecca sets it up so paparazzi are taking photos of him hanging out with... Keely. Keely. I kept wanting, I keep wanting to say Kaylee. Oh. Uh, Keely on a set where she's, you know, in makeup and stuff. Uh, they're taking pictures uh, on a photography set. So he's feeding her and stuff because she can't, you know. She can't, it, yeah, she can't use any of her she's shit because she's all made up. Paw, yeah. a lion paws on and stuff. Um, so he's just feeding her and being like fun. But everyone else is turning this like. Ho ho! He's uh, Tart's heart breaks, breaks Tart's heart. Yeah, uh, <laughs> they're trying to set it up that like he's trying to steal Jamie's girlfriend or whatever. 
Which is, is that, important going on, but... And that's solved next episode, right? Or... No, it's the next episode that it doesn't run. That's what I, that would, what I mean but by... But it's it. not, oh. Uh, or at least that's where they start talking about it, realize the photo's been taken, stuff like that. Well, they don't realize the photo's been taken. That's not for, like, another few episodes. Uh, well, okay, they... Okay, they don't realize it's Rebecca, I guess. Yes, yes. that's where okay. we're getting confused. Yeah, yeah. Okay, no, I just mean, like, they, that's right, because... This great podcast. They know, right yeah, here. they know um, it's. They know it's in the next episode. They know it's been taken. And Trent Krim, who is a reporter, uh, interviews Lasso of, in theory in like in trade off for not running this photo, but it's really just another case of Rebecca trying to because Trent Krim's the hard ass of the fucking uh-huh. journo scene, uh, trying to sink Lasso and sink optimism in this game or in this coach. It's it's early in the series, but Lasso's abnormal enough that this episode is basically Krim like kind trying to make trying to make Lasso answer for everything we've seen in the past two episodes, all this quote unquote un- abnormal behavior mm-hmm. and shit that you shouldn't be doing, and like what are what do you mean you don't care if you win or not, and just continuing. He keeps poking the lasso. He keeps hoping the facade will break. Yeah. He keeps hoping it's a facade. And watching Krim realize that lasso is just 100% genuine about everything that's going on is amazing. It's the it was the simplest way I think to prove that this is this this is just how it works because after this episode I don't doubt anymore that this is just who lasso is. Right, they make they make the audience be Trent Krim for the episode. Mm-hmm. Even if you're sitting there thinking that Trent's being an asshole, like he's doing all the investigating that part of us wants to do when presented with this character. Yeah, he's trying to poke the bear. I also this episode does a lot. Even though it'd be so easy to just like I'm gonna stop harping on it. It'd be so easy to make this character a villain. But like in other shows, this is the episode where Rebecca would have become a villain. But instead. Keely befriends her mm-hmm. and she starts getting humanized immediately. One of the things I also appreciate about this series that I'm excited to see just how much they keep up with it going forward is this is the one where they start to really go hard with continuity too. Mm-hmm. Because at the end of the first episode, the uh, limo driver that took him to the stadium invited him to his family's restaurant. So that's where he takes Trent Krim. And he eats Indian food for the first time, and he tells the uh, people, make it as spicy as you would have it. And that's always classic, like, torture the white guy. But he's Ted Lasso, so he's just like, all right, this is so hot. Yeah. But keep it coming. Like, I am, like... I can't embarrass you in front of your family. Give me some more. (laughs) And it's the moment where he's eating all of the spicy food because he needs to make them feel... Good, at the expense of his own intestines. Well-being. <laughs> um, the Trent's like, oh my god, you are, you're for real. Uh, and we see a lot of. Uh, there's a quote from the end because we hear Trent's article, and Trent is basically like, God, I really like him. I think he's gonna fail, but I like him. But he talks about his coaching style is subtle. He never kind of puts himself forth. 
but he's uh, encouraging people to kind of become their own best selves. And we see that throughout this episode. And this is also the one where Roy tries to get Jamie to get his boys to stop fucking with Nate. Uh Uh-huh. And then when they don't, he goes and fucks him up in the club. Roy gets a lot of growth in this one, and that's going to connect with what I was going to say of one thing Lasso does is he gives them all books, and they're not all the same books. You see, uh, you can see that a few points, which based off the book he chose for Roy, uh, A Wrinkle in Time, we'll get to that in a sec, he clearly, like, really quickly understood every single person on this team and picked a book that would teach them a lesson. Like, of where he thinks they need to go. And that is, as someone who likes to recommend books to people, the ability to do that is insane. I'm curious <laughs> if that comes back around later on as we get to know some more of the players, I want to know too. what other books were, yeah. I mean, I've I've took a look, like, you can... You, you can, can see, see a, a few of my... I think others. one of them is, like, Ender's Game or something like that, but I'm yeah, not sure. Yeah, um, I think Sam gets that. Well, that's learning to be smart and strategize and... And oh shit! What's the one? you get? You see the one that Jamie gets given, but I can't remember what it is now. Oh, last episode, real quick. We skipped over Sam before we jumped to Roy. Of uh, it's Sam's birthday, and Sam is just struggling because he's come from Nigeria to Britain, and he's suddenly on a much bigger stage, and he's got some culture shock going on, and he's just he's just having a hard time. And Jamie Tart won't stop being a dick to him. But in the midst of their loss, Lasso still throws him a birthday. He's like, "It's party. your birthday. That's great." And he—that's where he does the the goldfish thing you mentioned of the the creature with the shortest memory span has a goldfish is, is a goldfish and it got ten seconds. So like, take that ten seconds to be like, "Well, that sucked," and then be a goldfish. be a goldfish and go on your way. Um, but also of peop- of learning more about the soccer players the third episode focuses much more on Roy than we ever have before and we learn more than just him angry and him old Cause yeah it's him looks after his niece a good bit of the time him looks after the people around him i mean he goes to lasso being like they're fucking with Nate they're fucking with Nate and lasso's like this is a good way to get like him to be on our side. Like he's, he should be the leader. It's time for him to lead. Um, yeah. He's like, do something about it, captain. But he kind of tricks it. Cause he doesn't say that at first. Yeah. He's just like, Nope, I'm not going to do anything, but he gives him a wrinkle in time because it's a book about leadership. Really? It's a book about leadership and he wants him to get this lesson. Um, <laughs> you want me to be your little girl. I like you to be, um, <laughs> but we learn amongst other things. Like he's, Roy Kent, who is a big-name soccer player, I'm just going to call it soccer, I'm sorry, I get them, mm-hmm. is going to, like, a school to, like, play with kids and sign and stuff, even though he's still, like, grumpy and angry. And it turns out it's because his niece Phoebe goes there. And his relationship with Phoebe is amazing, because he's still... Him? Roy Kent. He is still an angry... <laughs> kind of shitty human being in a lot of ways, but he so clearly loves her and she so clearly loves him Mm -hmm. of, and they've got this great dynamic of she's this cute little girl. And he's like, mind your own business, Phoebe. Let's go get ice cream. (laughs) Like, uh, or he goes, fuck, that's a bad word. He goes, Oh, mind your own business. And then like kisses her and says, be good and leaves. Like, yeah. uh, So amazing. (laughs) Who cares about her? She's six. And she like rolls her eyes and laughs and like, 
it's I can see how and it'd be really easy to be like he's always angry he's a uh, his family hates him because he's kind of shitty but no he's just he's just Roy he's just Roy like you have you can't always be angry to everybody but your family can still accept you for being an angry man uh, and then when he realizes that he has to be a leader, he goes to a nightclub, headbutts one of the guys who becomes one of the like secondary soccer players, but I don't know his name. Wow, was it the Welsh kid that he headbutted? Yeah, the little yeah. guy, um, Connor. Connor. And it's just. Uh, uh, oh no, Colin. 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 Uh, like, knock it off. Stop fucking with Nate. And starts. This is a. Th- these episodes are also starting the Keeley's dating uh, Jamie, Jamie, but, but Jamie's a dick. Jamie's. Yeah. <laughs> and there's some, although there is real affection between the two of yeah. them still, uh, but some level of her at her and Roy at this point isn't like Start. liking each other. They respect each other mm-hmm. and starting to notice each other more mm-hmm. being like, Oh, okay. I kind of had you written off as either, you know, Pop I mean, star girlfriend or shitty old man football player. Mm-hmm. But both of them being like, oh, there's more layers to you. Okay. Uh, let's see. Episode four is the charity ball. There is so much character growth in this single episode. So cool. It's, it's one of the best Head episodes. Is so infuriating. This is one of the best episodes of the series, and, like, I mean, they were all good, but this is the point where they really landed it and went, we know what we're doing. We have now set the tone, because this is the point that the obvious villain suddenly is no longer the villain. Right. Rebecca was the bad guy up until this point. She's not anymore. She's still doing bad things. But you don't get to think of her as a bad person anymore. Higgins starts to get some more character stuff. Nate gets a lot more character growth. Jamie gets some moments. No, just let's start it with the very, it's another very small because Beard never gets huge moments. Beard, Coach Beard has picked up a uh, girlfriend and they're both chess obsessives, which is just another layer of like, this guy is fascinating. (laughs) Um... (laughs) And they spend the entire episode playing chess in their heads together. And over time, she's less and less into it, being like, we're on a date at a fancy charity. Let's dance and do cool stuff. And he's like, no, I got to fucking win the game. Like, And it's the first time we get his need to win, which no one else has super expressed before this. Like, they want to mm-hmm. win it. But, like, Lasso openly doesn't care about winning or losing. Coach... Does and this is the moment where we're like, oh, okay, so there's a dynamic. Yeah, um, like I said, I mean, you get Roy and Jamie put at a table together and told to deal with their issues, and it's really good. Yeah, Jamie's an asshole through the whole thing, but I mean, I was entirely on Roy's side throughout this entire thing. But like, Jamie's issues with Roy are legitimate. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Roy admits that. And Jamie, who's called out on his stuff, openly is like, I don't want to admit that's true. But it sort of is. Like, this is, again, very humanizing moments. It would be so easy for Jamie just to become a one-note piece of crap at this point. And they don't take that route. Well, and what I like is it's not that Jamie's automatically better either. Mm-hmm. It's the first cracks in the armor, though. Yeah. No, he's 
awful in this episode, but we get those moments of humanity. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also like that they end the Jamie Keeley relationship at this point. Cause it's uh, it, uh, clearly not that great for Keeley. Not like abusive or anything, but just she can do better than where Jamie is as a person at this point. Well, and it's it's kind of beautiful that that probably wouldn't have happened at least that night mm-hmm. without the talk Keeley has with Rebecca. With Rebecca, even though up to this point it's mostly been Keeley unknowingly uh, helping Rebecca become more human again, mm-hmm. showing. Uh, Keely has shown Rebecca kindness throughout the whole thing and had an amazing scene where she finds out in the last episode where she finds out that there's a topless photo of Rebecca. Oh and she's God, like, let me see it. it. Let me see it. You know, you want to show me, let me see it. Let me see it. Let me see it. You wouldn't have brought it up. <laughs> <laughs> and then she's, and then it, she's so like amazed and turned on, but not in a way that like treats Rebecca degradingly, but like it, I feel like a teenage boy. I can't stop looking at them. Um, and it's a really good way of like building Rebecca up because there's no objectification in it, mm-hmm. but telling her, you know, she's a beautiful woman and you probably, you know what, actually, cause Anthony head appears in three and he's such a piece of shit to her and clearly insulting her looks that she has not gotten this in a long time. And one of the things Keely does, she does it in this episode too, is like, all right, here's what's going wrong. Here's how we make you look hot. And I'm being like, yeah, you're so hot. So loudly. Yeah. That was so good. It's the so red touching. Great. Yeah. Sam trying to like talk to all the reporters. All the characters go through the red carpet here. Well, we don't see beard and lasso and Nate do it, but like all of the football players and we learn who every one of them is more just through those tiny moments than we have through anything else. Like, uh, Colin and his big buddy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, are like clearly, they clearly enjoy being celebrities. Jamie is Isaac. Isaac. Thank you. He doesn't speak much. So there's no one speaking to him much. You know, Jamie is clearly like living for this. Roy is openly just flipping off the cameras and saying, no, Rebecca knows this is part of life, but isn't sure how to deal with it. And Sam is just so touched that anyone wants picture that he's trying to learn everybody's names. That's about as long as they spend on that too. But like we get, these are who these people are. I I know them as people now in some ways. Uh, yo, I want to, I will listen to that street performer any day over Robbie Williams. I don't even know who Robbie Williams is, so that's fine. Uh, but that street performer is amazing. I can almost guarantee you for at least a Robbie I'm sure Williams I song. Have. Yeah. Oh, if we're going to talk about secondary characters, one of the be- possibly the best delivered line in this entire episode is the bit where uh, Nate finds out that they're not allowed to pick on him anymore, and it's Colin telling him, and he goes, uh, "Roy had butted me so hard that the doctor says I'm not allowed to drink," and then like looks at him for a moment and just. Swig some booze. And I was like, that was perfect. How many takes did it get you to deliver that line that flawlessly? I think my favorite part from this episode is the, and hey, Nate, you're the kind of guy that le- wants your friends to tell you you got something stuck in your teeth. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah, that suit doesn't fit you at all. <laughs> Everything about it. Uh, I think the only thing, oh, no, two things I've mentioned for this. Uh, one, 
we mentioned Keeley dumps Jamie, and the reason why is he was using her and purposely making her jealous to, like, get more attention to him to build his brand, which is, and brought another date without telling her. It was just, you know, shitty, he's 23. Mm-hmm. Shitty early 20s rich Superstar. Person. Yeah. Like, he's being heralded as a god and is 23. He's not equipped to deal with this. Uh, but they're like, don't, you shouldn't have to put up with that shit. And she's like, you're right. I shouldn't. And doesn't, mm-hmm. uh, there's no like long extracted, like, oh, he's treating you. just, nope. I deserve better in this done. Well, and even then she tries to give him a chance. Like, all uh-huh. right, you're sorry. Do you know what you're sorry for? Yeah. Do you know why I'm mad? Do you understand like being accountable? And, uh, Cause it's not enough. And I think everyone fails in this sometimes, but it's not enough to be sorry. It's also important to attempt to fix poor behaviors. Mm-hmm. And I think this teaches that really well. And when Keely is called out immediately after for her own shallow shit that she pulls here, she gets it and it's not unbelievable, mm-hmm. even though it happens right away. She's like, oh shit, like I've been lecturing somebody else on this. You're right. You're right. I'm sorry. I, and it like believable. Um, but here is where we meet Anthony head and he's the worst, but it is subtle in it. When you first meet him, we know he's a bad guy. It's been made very clear that he cheated on his wife a bunch, but he is charming when we first see him and it's not quite trustworthy, but you're like, he's exceedingly charming. I get why people like him. And by the end of the episode, you're like, Oh no, you are awful. Well, and this is, (laughs) we get to kind of see what Ted hating someone looks like, (laughs) (laughs) which is interesting all of its own. Cause at first Ted is like, it's good to meet you. Like I'm going to make my jokes and I'm going to like find the good in you and let's do this. But then we see, because Ted sees him openly be, he's basically negging Rebecca a lot and he's purposely doing things to hurt her while while being so charming and while being like, we're doing this to help children. It's a charity. Like he's using the fact that she can't turn him down to be subtly shitty to her in a way that you're like, if you had to deal with this constantly, which she did clearly, no wonder you're as fucked up as you are right now. Well, he's kind of openly hanging, being the potential savior Mm-hmm. over her head and be like, you just have to ask. Yep. You I, have to give in and I will, ask me to help you. I will fix this. all of your problems if you just admit you need me. But like Ted figures out, like, if you can call Robbie, get him down here that quick. Then that means you could have stopped him from going. Yeah, he openly, it, it turns out, and it's never confirmed, but he, it's pretty much openly confirmed that he sabotaged this on purpose and then showed up to white knight it. Like mm-hmm. it is. Ooh. And this is where he meets Bex. Is it where he meets her? Because yes, okay. because Bex is Jamie's other date. Oh shit. I did not realize that to be honest, Bex is pretty fucking forgettable. So not the actress, just, you know, she's the young, hot, 
rebound trophy wife replacement character. Ugh. Wait, so she hooks up with Jamie in the next episode, doesn't she? No. That's that's, that's a third somebody person. else. Jesus Christ. Oh, God, this... That's uh, somebody else. Because Bex ends up going home with Anthony Head. You kind of see him start to, like, talk to her in the background towards the end of the episode and stuff. Damn. Okay, that just blew my mind, and I'm going to watch for that when I rewatch the <laughs> show this weekend, I'm sure. Um... The last thing I have on this episode is who's the actor who plays Rebecca? Oh, um, her name is Hannah, uh, Hannah Waddingham. Give her about six awards for that scene where she has a breakdown outside Mm. and admits to Ted that she's alone and that like a lot of the threats that he made of like, Oh, if you leave me, you'll be alone and lost and all that are true at this point. Yeah, if if you're listening to this and have watched this and you're like, Hannah Waddingham, she looks familiar. I can't quite place oh, her. Oh, so me. She was a Septa Unella in Game of Thrones. No, that makes she is shame, shame behind oh, okay. Cersei. I know I've seen that scene. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> That's yeah. kind of amazing, actually. She also has done a lot of Broadway. Mm -hmm. On one hand, I'm not wild about her character just because I'm not really wild about any sort of like uber rich character. Mm -hmm. But she's treated very humanely here. And even though she's very rich, she's I don't get the sense that she's necessarily a one percenter, which makes me much more. okay. that's a little more political. I'm looking to go. Sorry. Um, But her bit here. Uh, it's so like that, that moment of opening up in a way that she hasn't before this, she's been angry. She's been surprised, but like, she's never been vulnerable before this episode, really. Mm -hmm. And damn, like, as I said, she's not the bad guy at the end of this episode that she kind of was at the beginning. Yeah. Then we have tan lines, which is Ted's family showing up. This is a tough, I say it's a tough episode. It is a joy to watch, but man. So it's his family showing up and it's the pulling Jamie from the game. I am a child of divorce. So divorce has always been difficult for me to watch. It is just, eh. and my, my parents don't like, they're not at war or anything, especially now they've been divorced for 30 20 years, 25 mm-hmm. years. So they're not like shitty to each other. And they were never over openly shitty uh, to me, but like divorce and that whole thing is just really difficult for me. And this very humane, very neither side is the villain. I guess I'm not going to stop talking about that part. <laughs> uh, was one of the most remarkably done things I've ever seen done on a sitcom. There's still so much love between these people. Yes. And I have met precisely one divorced couple who have that kind of like, they clearly still love each other, but they're, and I know there's more than that, but like the only one in my life. And it's my favorite divorced couple. As weird as it is to sound (laughs) like I have ranked divorced couples, but like those are the ones I'm like, yeah, that's fucking great. Mm -hmm. It would be so, you know, she's, unhappy and it'd be so easy for her to hate him 
but she doesn't. She openly is like, I am, you know, she doesn't feel what she used to at the beginning of the relationship. That happens. But she wants to. It's so clear that she still wants to be, you know, just head over heels in love with Ted Lasso. It's just not there. It's just, and if you don't, you don't. You know, there's a quote. It's come up a lot for me lately for some reason, which makes my life sound super depressing. <laughs> uh, but of uh, just because something doesn't work in the end doesn't mean it never worked. Mm. And it was one of those moments when I read that in a book that I had to like sit down and ponder that for a while because it kind of changed my perception of a lot of aspects of my life. But um, even though it's so obvious, this is a great example of it. Like they're still such good parents together. They still have these things that they care so much about, but it's just this relationship doesn't work anymore. So this is, so this is like the halfway point in the season. Uh Uh-huh. And it's kind of fitting because it, it kind of sets up what we get later in the season in, I wouldn't necessarily say this series takes it, so far into being like it's partially about learning how to fail Mm -hmm. but it's about learning how to deal with when things don't go your way yeah and kind of accepting not what you hoped for that that's more accurate i think learning how to deal with your life changing in ways that you didn't necessarily expect or want to think about um and like like she has to point out to him you're not quitting. You're letting me go. Yeah. God, that line is one. He starts to tear up and I'm just like, Oh God, I don't know if I'm emotionally equipped. I'm getting a little teary thinking about Mm -hmm. this. Like I'm not emotionally equipped to deal with Ted Lasso crying. (laughs) Here's a thing that I have learned about myself. Mm -hmm. And he's, yeah, he's, I uh, talks about like how he still values the relationship, but you don't have to try anymore. You are not happy, and I recognize that I can't make you happy, and it's important to me that you are, that you are the best version of yourself. So go be that. You don't have to, like, keep holding on to this. He's like, but I swore I'd never quit. Never quit a thing in my life. And, like, it's almost self-recriminating, but it's more, like, just those conflicting emotions that you have about life. Mm -hmm. And just having to remember it's not... With things like relationships, it's not only the way you view it. Mm-hmm. Well, and we are so inundated with true love, with love for the rest of your life. And I mean, like, let's be honest, I 100% hope and wish and am planning for my relationship to be that. Mm-hmm. But like, if God forbid it's not, I'm going to watch this episode like six times <laughs> yeah. to like in a row and be a mess, but, uh, to like just the biggest mess. Uh-huh. I love you, honey. Uh, <laughs> um, but it's hard to talk about anything else, even though amazing things happen in this episode, because that final scene sucks the air out of the entire room. We'll talk about other stuff, but I have Ted. to be like, Oh, Ted running all the way up the bleachers to ask Rebecca if he has permission to bench Jamie is one of the most charming things in this entire fucking show. And the announcer saying, good cardio, though. Yeah. <laughs> like being impressed. Um, before that, which is funny because it happens after, 
the moment where he sits down on a bench just being like, oh, my God, and Beard just quietly sits down with him and hands him a drink and never says a word is another brilliant piece of acting of they didn't say a damn thing to each other that entire time. But the like love and devotion that those two have to each other beyond just their job. Mm -hmm. Perfectly succinct there. I'm not going to try to remember it exactly since I didn't write it down, but the, the great parallels in writing in giving Ted that speech to his team where he manages to understand for himself where his relationship is at. Yeah. It starts with like giving encouragement to his team and it ends with him realizing he needs to divorce his wife and, and then having sense. to, <laughs> and then having to like try and save himself there and like kind of pulling it off mm-hmm. um, is. I don't think this is my favorite episode of the series, but I think this might be the most brilliantly written episode. Every moment of it is pitch perfect. Uh, we see what an amazing dad Ted is. We see yeah. the moment where like people start to shift being on his side because he they finally win a game, and it's um, so beautiful that it happens in front of his son. Mm-hmm. Daddy, what's a wanker? <laughs> and you're like, oh boy. Uh, um, everyone's been calling him wankers like you suck throughout this entire show. And then when he wins a game, they start chanting wanker like, yeah, good job, bud. Same word, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it sounds different though, doesn't it? <laughs> um, and that's the shift that like people are like, oh, I'm like Trent Krim. Like, we still think you're going to fail, but like. We kind of think everyone's going to fail. You're kind of one of us now. We kind of believe in you now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not quite all the way, but like that change is being made. Uh-huh. Oh, by the way, uh, especially because she comes up more in the very next episode. Did you recognize the bartender? I recognize her from Doctor Who. That's what I was... Because she plays one of the Raxicalico... Raxicalico... She's a Slitheen. Yes, a Slitheen. <laughs> I was hoping, um, like, I was like... Because the first time watching through this, I was like, <gasps> she's from Rexcorcophalpatorius. Fonch, I believe, is her specific <laughs> name. Um, uh, she's I have actually seen her on a, all sorts of fucking I was going to say, I've TV. seen her in a bunch of stuff, but that's the one I know her from. We haven't talked about her at all. She's just this bartender who everyone kind of goes to her bar and background. She has background moments. Uh, she doesn't, I, I don't know. She's kind of the, like, May if you need to take, name, yeah, like, May, if you need to kind of take the pulse of, like, the fan. Mm-hmm. She's more willing to believe in Ted, but I think part of that is, but just she's also willing to give it to him straight about what everyone else is thinking. Though, uh-huh. too. And I think part of that is just like, he lives like basically above her. She mm-hmm. deals with him, but she's not necessarily like a buddy. Uh, she, any scene she's in is very well, like it's understated, but well done. So we mentioned he pulls Jamie off, but the reason he pulls Jamie off is he's watching the rest of his team be demoralized by Jamie's fucking antics and selfishness and selfishness. Like he's, you know, he wins a goal and he's running around pointing at himself, yelling me, me. And he pulls off an amazing kick to make the goal, mm-hmm. but they could have made the goal with an extremely safe pass and a wide open shot. If he would have just popped it over to Sam. Yeah. If it had, if he had thought not me, me, are any of these people actually soccer players? Do we know? I've I've heard from some people that some of the soccer action that is shown on this show is absolute shit. That doesn't terribly. <laughs> I just don't know. I didn't know if they were getting real soccer players. I have no. It's like idea. they act too well to actually be that. I but. don't 
I don't believe many of them. Like, like I said, I know that fucking Roy is on the writing staff. So he's clearly not. Yeah. And like, he's worked on, um, like he's written on, uh, fuck. What's her real name? Uh, Donna's show. Donna Noble's show. Uh, Catherine Tate? Yeah. Uh, oh, right. <laughs> like, she had the Catherine Tate show. Yeah, um, yeah. Like, he's written and acted on that and shit. Like, okay, he's an so actor. He's got, okay. Um, I don't know about some of the others. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if, like, Zorro, Zorro. looks like a soccer player, right? Danny Rojas, who we will meet next episode, and I'm so happy about that. Uh, but he pulls off their best player, and everyone's like, what the hell? But the rest of the team is automatically, like, energized and they're suddenly working together in a way that they never have before and win the game. Mm -hmm. This is the first time we see someone win. Uh, And this is also, I think the most we have ever seen of a football game up to this point. I think you're right. Because they don't, they'll usually be like, let's show them what we got. And then like immediately after be like, they did terribly. You see a lot more practice than anything else. Mm -hmm. But even even then it's never focused on what's going on in practice. Uh Uh-huh. Episode six, two aces. Danny Rojas, Danny, Danny Rojas. This might be my, I said the uh, last one was like probably the best made episode. This is probably my favorite episode. And it's also in like second place for best made episode. First time through, this was the first episode to make me cry. I think the last one was for me. Something about that story of... The, the young man being lured in by the promise of being soccer stars and then shipped off to WW1 kind of. That's fucked. That kind of, like, I don't, yeah. I don't like it. Uh, so the two things the, of note in this episode are... Um, Bex, because now Rebecca is old Rebecca. Okay, so three things. Yeah, turns out that uh, Douchebag is dating a new Rebecca... And they were, she was expecting her to be new Rebecca and said, she's just Rebecca. And now Rebecca is old Rebecca. And as someone who does care what the tabloid says about her, because I mean, she kind of has to where she is in her life. Yes. Uh, This is. You can say don't care all you want, but in her position, it's part of her her job. Yeah. Yeah. Also, if everyone was like old Zach in like newspapers, (laughs) I'd be like, that does kind of hurt. Like. It, it definitely writes her off as not a person. Mm-hmm. Um, but we meet Danny Rojas. <laughs> the raven-haired golden retriever <laughs> of a man. <laughs> uh, who is another soccer player who can play at the same place that, uh, not Roy, uh, uh, Jamie does. And potentially and the same level. But he's not a giant dick. Suddenly Jamie is not uncontested. And, like, how is Jamie going to deal with this? The answer is generally not great. Also, do is Jamie going to stay on the team now that he's been pulled off is a raised question. And, uh, you know, Ted just agreed to have a divorce. How's Ted doing? That open of Ted having what is, like, clearly a freak out and uh, someone asked Coach Beard, is he okay? And Beard, no. no. <laughs> While laughing, is another... One of those, like, perfectly delivered lines. That might be the best delivered line of this episode. Um, and then the overlying plot that is, like, not actually important to the character growth, but is the... the not the training room. The Oh, the, the, the ghost curse thing? Yes. And that just turns into, like, a team-building exercise, because uh-huh. Ted is fucking fantastic at this. The room... 
that people go when they're injured or if they're getting like a massage or something is is cursed. Everyone's like, "Oh my god!" <laughs> yeah, they don't go. They don't go into their own training room. I don't believe in it. Well, then come with me to the room. No, no. Why? Just no. <laughs> like, this is a the whole town believes this. Mm-hmm. This is. This is the kind of thing where it's probably true because it's just so ingrained in the public psyche that they find reasons for it to, like, exactly. Yeah. And uh, Ted lifts it. Ted lifts it. And the way he does it, I'm torn between brilliant and don't do that. Of He's like, we need to make a sacrifice. Everyone brings something that you really care about as kind of a, like, sacrifice this so we can move on a little bit. And some of the things that they sacrifice, I'm like, don't sacrifice that. <laughs> yeah. Like, that's all Roy. you have from your grandfather. Roy and Jamie. Don't, do not sacrifice. <laughs> but others are like, oh, you kind of suck. Um, but it's all funny. This is the uh, keys to my Lambo. How are you getting home? Or the like guy who we find out he kept sand from the, <laughs> the first, first beach, beach that he banged Model. Yeah, first speech that he banged a supermodel and he keeps that and he's the one that's like the most messed up about throwing it in. Question. Does Ted put his wedding ring in there? I was never quite able to figure that out. Oh shit, I'd have to rewatch it. But I don't think we ever see what sense. Ted puts in. It would fit. It bugs me. I don't want him to do that. But I'm also the weirdo that wanted the wedding rings that my parents had even though they divorced when I was four and everyone's like, are you sure you want that? Like, they're not good wedding rings. Um, That would make... That's what I mean of, like, some of those, it would make narrative sense, but some of those feel, like, too much. I feel like I have to rewatch the episode, though, because I could see them even making that just a super small detail, like... They never have the moment where we see what he throws in there. Right. I keep thinking, because we see him put it in a little box... Mm-hmm. And I keep thinking every time he pulls out the box of matches that it's that box at first. Uh, the brilliant bit of acting here, I think. Is Jamie? Is Jamie. Because Jamie is still, he's pouting at first. This is where we have that, this is practice line that we were talking mm-hmm. about earlier. We at First, Jamie's being a dick and he gets called out on his stuff. And Keeley calls him out on his stuff being like, you know, I like you. You're hot. But you suck. And you need to, like, you need to stop treating everyone else as an obstacle. You need to stop, like, you know, if someone's trying to help you, you need to stop challenging them. And I don't think Jamie would have been fixed, even if he had stayed after this. But this is the most human moment. And this is the moment where Jamie stops being a villain. In the same way that Rebecca did a few episodes before. Yeah. We find out that is well. This, like I said, nobody other than Anthony Head so far. Nobody mm-hmm. in this is a bad guy. They're hurt and but, lashing out because of it. But it keeps being set up as like this person's going to be the villain. Nah. And so you find out Jamie's hurt, and the yeah. fact that he has a super shitty dad. He has a crazy abusive father, and he got real tough to deal with that. And and he basically has everything he has because of this game. So. Mm-hmm. And it's all about how good I am, and I have to be the best, especially because I'll get abused if I'm not. Mm-hmm. Like, damn, that's a lot. Damn, it's hard to look at Jamie the same way after he says that. Even if he kind of regresses, 
in future episodes for a while. Which also feels realistic, Uh since he's not around them anymore. Um, (laughs) And because he's not told the truth of what happens with his situation. And this is where Higgins becomes much more of a person. This is where Higgins kind of shifts allegiances. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely been happening up to this point, but it's the point where, like, Rebecca knows for sure. Like, you're on Ted's side. Uh, You're still doing what I say, but... Because, like, he's already been having lunches and stuff with Ted Mm -hmm. at this point, but... Uh, Next episode is... Uh, Oh, no, at the very end of this episode, there's still the moment we find out that Jamie's taken off the team permanently. Yeah, he was already on loan from Man City, so they recalled their contract since it seemed Mm -hmm. that AFC Richmond wasn't going to use them. And we find out that Rebecca set that up. Which also, like, I don't understand soccer in the least. Like, don't they play each other? Why would you loan somebody to another team you Money. play? I, I know, but, like, that... I'm as clueless as Ted in this case. It's like, why do you allow <laughs> ties? I Anyway. <laughs> they want to rescind his loan. They're going to take his house? Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, but next episode, they go to Liverpool. Liverpool. For, uh, yeah, for the f- mm-hmm. game against Everton. Uh... Ted has to deal with his divorce papers. And this episode is mostly just about... If you want to... If you're a really shitty person and you really want to try to demonize someone, the amount that those papers are being pushed on Ted is a little grating, but you also do not know how much time has passed at this point. Mm -hmm. And we also understand that this, this poor woman has been trying to, like... This poor woman being Ted's now ex-wife has been trying to like make this work. And now that she's, they've acknowledged that it doesn't going to work. She wants to get to the next point of her life. Yes. And she's still pretty like, it's kind of grating because we see it like six times in a half hour period, but it's over the course of uh, a weekend really. Yeah. You know, it's not that it's, bad. It hey, feels worse. The- compressed. Well, and it's awkward. Like we have to get through these divorce papers. I'm sure you just want to get that done. Like, I sent you these divorce papers. Can you send them to me? No, can't? Okay, I'll talk to my lawyer and we'll figure out what you can do, kind of. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not not like, damn it, Ted, but like, this sucks, let's get through it. Uh... And I only bring that up because I kind of felt that the first time until I sat there and thought about it. I'm like, oh, wait, this is taking place over, like, ha- a, a week? A weekend, like... I think, yeah. Um, a couple of days, at least. But... And it's the main thing, I think, to talk about in this episode, especially because we're getting kind of long in the tooth at this point. Holy shit. The depiction of a panic attack. Masterful. As someone who has had multiple panic attacks before, I have seen it done better once, and that was done by a, a video made by one of my friends, so like it was even more personal for me. Mm-hmm. The the depiction of it, the way that it sets in, the thing that triggers it, because he's doing okay, even though he's have, clearly having a hard time throughout the whole time, up until the song Let It Go starts being sung. And that's just like the trigger moment, the over-the-top moment of like, you need to just, because part of him, even though he agreed to the divorce, was still holding ready. on to it. Yeah. yeah. He convinced himself, he was able to convince himself it was the right thing, and it was, but that doesn't mean Uh his emotions have caught up yet. And the moment he lets it go, like, he has to have that moment of, like, popping. And damn, 
And then Rebecca being the one. And we don't see her go to him. No. We just, uh, as he starts to come out of his panic attack, she's the one there being like, I'm here, breathe. This is what's happening. This is what, you are having a panic attack right now. This is a legitimate thing. Just breathe and get through this. I'm here. Don't worry about it. You'll, like, just ride the wave. And you, she has clearly done it before. We also get the reveal of, like, oh, yeah, that's why the actress is on Broadway. Because she can sing. She's done spam a lot since we brought up Monty Python earlier. That's kind of funny. <laughs> um, uh, oh, it Keely is. and Roy kiss for the first time. The Keely and Roy relationship starts to go a little further. Uh, they kiss, and then he just, like, walks away. And she clearly is not sure how to deal with that. And Nate. Oh, yeah. So there are more important points. Uh, Nate gives his plans... Like, he's asked to give his opinions on what the team needs, and at first he refuses, and then he shows up at just the wrong time in a way that's not his fault, and Ted snaps and loses his shit at him. And in another well-done moment by Jason Sudeikis, the the moment that he finishes snapping at Nate, you can see that Ted is like, Nate didn't deserve that, but not. Mm-hmm. But he's still mad, so he's like, it's not a deep thing. And they immediately switch to a scene where... Ted apologizes to Nate. Like, there is... It's okay to make mistakes, but you have to own your mistakes. And they do. And then Nate gets to roast the team. Oh my god, it's so funny. Like, these are things that the team needs to hear. And Nate's confidence is building, and he's been starting to bond with the team, and everyone's like, you got this! And he immediately just, like, slashes and burns all of them. (laughs) And it's so, and we learn that Nate is so good at burns. It's so funny. Oh my God. But it's all, again, not like just, you're a piece of shit, but like, you're doing this and I'm going to fucking rip you for it. But it's stuff that like, if you listen to me, you will grow. Mm -hmm. And then the other one is we meet Rebecca's friend from childhood. Flo. Flo. And for the most part, I found Flo to be a little much, but that's okay. She's also purposely being a little much because she knows that this is a difficult weekend for Rebecca. But she has the the two moments of it is she has a great little moment of uh, Rebecca tries to blame everything on Anthony Head, whose character's name I'm just kind of refusing to learn. It doesn't matter. Don't want to know it. Um, but she's like, no, he's a terrible person. But you took every step. Uh, you you made every choice to go along with him. Like, you have to own. I'm not even necessarily mad at you, but you have to own your own culpability in mm-hmm. the toxic behaviors you've developed. The people you've hurt, I think, is more accurate. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Flo sleeps with Ted immediately after... That makes it sound bad. Immediately no, after yeah, the Yeah, yeah, that attack, makes it sound like, bad, but it all plays out quite a bit more naturally no, for they, the most they part. They were clearly flirting a little mm-hmm. bit, and like she shows up for a one-night stand at just the right moment because he's kind of made his progress and moved on. And this is... Honestly, it's not a bad time for a one-night stand to have it if you understand the stakes. And, yeah. Which leads us into the next episode. And where... <laughs> Where you get the adorableness of Ted having had a one night stand. He's like, what do I do now? And everyone's like, you enjoy it? Like, you didn't. Uh, this is where we see Higgins much more again on Ted's side and as part of the clique. Uh, and this is where the interpersonal relationships, this next episode, are much more important. 
because we have Keeley and Roy being the main focus or Ted just, well, that's really done. Not like I'm going through a divorce. I am divorced. Right. I mean, there's a lot that happens in this one because Keeley sleeps with Jamie, tells Roy because they start to go move things forward. Mm -hmm. By the end, they're on their date. And and that's when the paparazzi snaps the photo and they grab that and find out that Rebecca had the photo taken at the beginning of the season. Uh huh. And at first sleeping with Jamie is like, yeah, I'm sorry. It was kind of a dick move, but also it wasn't like, oh, she was awful. It was. All right. You guys were kind of dicks to each other, but none of it is anything that matters. Whatever. Just going on. Just go out with each other. And that's the thing, like, Higgins gets brought into the click this episode, but it's already been set up that that's kind of going to be his undoing. Undoing. I mean, he's he's, he's a lovable part and back in the seat by the end of the season. But, but like, he's he's fully on Lasso's team, but he is still technically working for Rebecca's scheme, which doesn't come up too much this episode, not till the very end when suddenly it's confronted. Because he can't um, take it anymore because he is Team Lasso now, really. No, that's next episode, I think. No, it is this episode. First, there's the dark game. Ted has the dark game against oh, Anthony Head's yeah. character. Where? That's right. That which? Oh my god! That's one of my favorite parts. Of it's this the first. It's season. the only time that Anthony Head is ever really called on his shit, and he doesn't learn anything from it. But like, he's. But he gets taught the lesson, and we all get taught the lesson. He's beaten, which he wasn't in the previous episode he was in. Like, they realized who he was, but he still went home with his now fiancé. And, like, he tries to come in playing power plays, and Ted just blocks him. This episode sort of solidified for me one of my feelings on this entire series. And it's that, like, you know cartoons that are aimed from, like, the, like, five to eight age range. Mm -hmm. Like, every episode has a lesson. Yeah. Ted Lasso is that for adults? Yep. Everyone has a very special episode moment, but... uh... And this is maybe the most on the nose, but it creates one of the best speeches in the entire series. Be curious, not judgmental. Mm -hmm. And kind of stand up for what you believe in. And it's the moment where Rebecca finally gets called out on her shit. Because, like, Ted saves her here. Ted saves her in a way that, at the point, and not that she can't stand up for herself, but where she is in her damage, she would not have been able to do. And she might, just from her position, she might not have been able to get that same result. Mm -hmm. Maybe something different and comparable, but... I think season two, she's going to get a real moment on Anthony head. But, and she comes in and you're like, yeah, yeah, he defended Rebecca. And then she immediately starts doing her shitty plan of destroying the team again. And she doesn't seem to have connected. Like, Ted is straight up her friend at this point. She likes Ted. Ted has helped her out. But she's still wrecking Ted in the process of doing this, of her plan. She's hurting other people in her plan to hurt fucking Rupert or whatever his name is. I finally remembered. <laughs> um, and Higgins calls it. What, what's the line? You can't. 
you can't keep hurting other people to hurt Rupert or something like so, that. Yeah, like, I can't exactly remember what it is. And I, what I like there is she gets to call him out just as much of like, do you really get to throw stones? You like, how many times did you hurt me? Like yeah. help hurt me. Even if you were, you know, like actively maliciously doing it. But the difference is because again, uh, acceptance of your own flaws matters being a big ongoing mission of this show. Higgins cops to it. And he's like, but that doesn't forget, you know, you're right. I should have been braver, but that doesn't forgive. And that doesn't mean you get to keep uh incurring some sort of retribution on me. Because now it's just continuous. Yeah, and it does, it humanizes some of the behavior she was doing to him in earlier episodes where I was like, Jesus Christ, that's shitty. But also, that doesn't make it okay. Mm -hmm. You hurt me doesn't mean I get to hurt you back, necessarily. It's almost to a point where he's like even saying like, even though it's wrong, even up to a certain point, I at least understand because I'm human. But we're past that. <laughs> There's two quotes from Doctor Who that I've kind of mashed together, but uh, I'll, I'll give both of them that I kind of try to live my life by. It's never be cruel, never be cowardly. And when you do always make amends and always try to be nice, never fail to be kind. Those are like my two lessons that I really want to live by and to teach people. And I don't always succeed. That happens. But those are basically the two lessons that Ted Lasso teaches mm-hmm. as a show. All apologies. Is this the final? No, this no, is the second to last episode. Yeah, this is Roy's old. Oh, this is episode's tough. This is Roy's old, and this is Rebecca actually copping to her shit. Which, mm-hmm. Damn, that was a good done. Well, so this this is one of the ones that I loved. I love this episode more and more upon rewatch, especially as you see the change in Rebecca through the episode. Mm-hmm. And there's a chance she's still not going to tell Ted up until... She's avoiding it because it's awkward. She doesn't want to take responsibility. Up until she has the face-to-face with Anthony Head. Mm-hmm. What's the, it's from the line from the auction, uh, whatever, something, something. It's not responsibility matters, but... Uh, uh, accountability. Accountability matters being the big message of the show, but this is the moment where that connects with her. Well, and it's, she has a moment with everything that happened before where she, she sort of gets a glimpse of what kind of what she's starting to turn into Mm -hmm. in a way, but also just what it looks like when a person continues to use people like this and to see somebody who delights in it and realizing that that's not what she wants to be. Um, well, and at the very beginning is again, with accountability and she's like, I know what I did was wrong, but I don't really like, I don't see what an apology will do. And damn, an apology can do a lot, a sincere one. Well, and she, the thing is it's, it's about having to deliver bad news I mean, the whole episode is about having to deliver bad news because you also have Ted having to deliver bad news to Roy and just decide you have want to do Beard it at all. Like delivering 
bad news. We will talk about that scene in a minute. Let's finish Rebecca first and then have that gem of a moment. But Rebecca is about to back out of delivering bad news until she runs into somebody who delights in it. Mm -hmm. And Anthony Head, again, I've already said give them all the awards, but give him all of the awards for his maliciousness. Just there's a few moments that are so slimy and he looks so pleased through all of it. Like I, uh, earlier episode was almost going to make me cry. Just think about it. This one makes me just like seethe with anger. When I think about that scene, Roy has to accept he's getting old. Mm-hmm. And, and, and there, he's not who he was 10 mm-hmm. years ago. And there's some good emotional beats, but it's compared to the other bits. It's the least emotionally engaging for no, me. It is. It's awesome. It's well done. We get another good little scene with Phoebe that's very cute. But it's more the feel-good part of this episode. Yes, it's Because the, of that moment with it's Phoebe. It's the let's give us a breath while everyone else is like, bam. Mm-hmm. And because he was kind of getting partway there by this point in the season anyway. Also, it's the episode where he joins Team Ted. Yeah. Like, really joins Team Ted, even though he's pissed about it. That's why it's so hard to love you. <laughs> That's next episode, but this is the, they have their like heart-to-heart moment. What I love about this episode is every one of those things we talked about has a funny line delivered in the middle of these like heart-wrenching scenes. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, so Beard and Ted. Beard has been quiet and supporting Ted every moment of this show. And this is the first time because Beard's the one that goes... We can't keep Roy on the front. He can't be our starter anymore. He's He just can't play at the level that we need. We will lose if we do. And Ted, who doesn't care about wins and losses, is first like, no, I care more about, like... And it's not even he cares more about what's best for Roy, because that's not what's best for Roy, to keep living in the past like that. He just cares so much about keeping Roy from having that that painful moment. Mm-hmm. And at first beard is just like quiet and not talking to him. And it's funny. It's beard being angry at Ted is treated as a joke until it's not. And we get well, one um, of the best moments in this entire season. Because it's a little bit of realness. Like as beard pointed out, all these other times they've been coaching, they've been dealing with college kids, college kids, amateurs, kids that are still growing. Now they're at the pro level, and part of playing a game is to try to win the game. And that's what a lot of them are like. Can and, I relate this to Bellagarth for a yeah. moment here? My foam-fighting, LARPy, <laughs> wappy bats game. So I went through the knighthood trials. I earned the title, sir. I hate using it, but I earned it. And one thing I dealt with was I shouldn't want this title. This is, should just be stuff that I should just be doing. And I had to be taught. It is okay to want things. It's okay to want to win. Like, it's not, you know, ego death is kind of important, but it's also okay to want to succeed. It's okay to Mm -hmm. want to win and to earn this thing, to want something for yourself. And, Um, like, all of these players are at this level mm -hmm. because they they want want to win win. in this game. (laughs) And one thing that I had to, like, because I spent this entire time watching the show being like, I need to be more Ted Lasso. I need to, like, but I need to fucking coach Beard, too, because I am really good at the, because I have squires now, I have students, at the, like, 
let's talk about your emotional health. Let's, I am more concerned about you growing as a person than I am about you being the best fighter on the field, which is still 100%. I do, especially for our fucking wappy bass game. But <laughs> it's okay to want to win, too. It's okay to not just want to, like, grow as a person. I want them to be good at this game in the same way that I want to be good at this game, and I need to remember that. So I want my coach beard and I think it's especially important that that conversation happens where it does. Mm-hmm. At the bar that is the center for their fans. Because no matter what you feel about the parasocial relationship between fans of a team and like professional sports and all that stuff, they've been in there all season and they know how much this game means not even to just the players, but to the people in the community around them. There's only one other place you could have done this scene and had the emotional impact you need for it, because you need the people around them to be affected and to be on Coach Beard's side. And the only other place could have been the locker room. But one, that would have been remarkably inappropriate to Mm -hmm. do there. And two, everyone's so emotionally connected at this point that it would have been so messy. So having people that they're not, like that they don't love, but are important and invested in what's going on. Be like, no, he's right. Drives that home in a way that I don't think anywhere else could have. If they'd done this in Ted's house, whatever, it wouldn't have landed. It's yeah. It's just a personal disagreement. And then ending it with the amazing joke of like his now ex-girlfriend, chess girlfriend being like, that was the hottest thing I've ever seen. Let's go home right now. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Beard just being like, Checkmate. She's been fucking with you. Because <laughs> uh, she's been playing in the background, yeah. playing chess with someone else. Checkmate. Mate. Again, it's one thing Bill Lawrence is so good at of let's have this super heavy moment, but let's make you laugh at the end of it so you don't wallow in it for the rest of stuff. And that brings us to the finale. Okay. And we actually, we always for the do finale, such long episodes with this. Okay, it was always going to be. I'm going to say it for the finale. Hey, Danny, get your ass in here. Hi, Danny, by the way. Danny from Fried Squirms is in the other room because you guys are recording in a moment. He sounded very comfortable on that couch based off the getting up noises. You've watched all this. Talk about the last episode of Ted Lasso with us. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) You're one of the success stories who I told the fucking people to watch it. You might know this because you play soccer. How terrible are they at soccer? Uh, not that bad, to be honest. Okay. Um, okay. We were curious, and we just don't know. Well, we are not the considering <laughs> that the league that they play in is called Top Flight English Premier League. That's like the very, very, very top of the tops in England. So they can't be that bad if they're in there. But like, what, what, of the stuff that's actually shown on screen, like, right. how are? Yeah, it's they? pretty basic. Pretty basic. Yeah, it's nothing too spectacular. Danny's kick looks super great, but that's just uh-huh. I would. I would die if I threw myself in the air like that. So that's more just me being kind of a heavy set dude. <laughs> All right. Season finale, first ep- first season of Ted Lasso. What did you think, Danny? I We've been talking it, about it. <laughs> uh, I don't know how far you guys have gotten into it or talked about it, but... but we've been going episode by episode. So, oh, like, he watched it four times this week. Okay. And I had never seen it before gotcha. the last... I like weeks. how it wraps back around... On a lot of things. Well, one thing in particular with the uh, sparkling water. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> That's one of my favorite moments. Of the, of the if last. you can end a season with one of the jokes you did, and like one of the first jokes you did in a season, 
even if it's not important, it just it, it and it feels hits. very full circle continuity. Yeah, I was like, wow, this is just well written, well acted. Mm-hmm. You you bring Jamie back, which we haven't had him for several right. episodes, and we see how much he's regressed back to like, yeah, I'm a number one fucking star. At first, sort of. Sort of. My favorite callback is actually the fucking, the ussy kid. <laughs> oh, I hate that kid so much. It's okay, you're supposed to. Like, he's supposed to be <laughs> kind of <laughs> contemptible. <laughs> like, And I love him, because, like, yeah, you're right, Jamie had regressed, but, like, do you, do you think Jamie would have made the extra pass if the ussy kid wouldn't have shown him that video of Ted still saying nice things about him. So the point. And then, I mean, well, no, because he wouldn't have gone to talk to Keeley and he wouldn't have had like his progression through this episode. Um, I do think Ted just genuinely being like, way to go. Jay. It's good to see you, buddy. Play well. Good luck. And him being like, I don't know what's happening. Like, <laughs> I think you're fucking with me is probably my favorite like through line joke that's not a joke through this episode yeah it's the hope that kills you this is the most football episode <laughs> of the entire series like because we talked about before the game is not that important throughout the entire show it's important in this episode I think the the biggest disappointment I had in this entire series is in this episode because we don't get to see every single one of those fucking trick plays. Oh, right. Yeah. And this is the moment where he connects with like, okay, here's what I can teach you on the field. Like here's, because before it's been like, I I can help you guys grow as people, but I don't know how to like help you grow as soccer players necessarily. Okay. Once again, Danny, you know, soccer. Yeah. What did you think of the Sandman? How would that work? Huh. Um, you'd be surprised at how many like little trick replays actually work in football, soccer, if you will. Um, so I don't think it's out of the realm, to be honest. Will you try implementing the same huh, in your well, coaching? It wouldn't hurt. <laughs> it wouldn't hurt. And now how to play with it? Yeah. Like, now how about the lasso special? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't right. care if that works or not. That scene was just funny. Look, hey, if it works, it works. That's how I, I look at it. If it works in practice, let's try it in the game. I at first didn't understand the importance of making the extra pass, even though I got the allegory of like why it was important, but like from a sports perspective, until I thought about it and like to bring it back to my own wappy bats, because this is the closest thing I have ever had to sports that I've given a shit about is a lot of times when I die, it's because I've been faked out and I have shifted just too far. And like the moment my body weight shifts and I'm like, well, I'm not recovering from this. So if you can do that in soccer, I can imagine it's the exact same thing of like. Well, and I think coming at it from the sports perspective, the other part of making the extra pass has been that it's been shown to work mm -hmm. like Gretzky. Oh, yeah. Gretzky is, I mean, the greatest of all time in hockey. His numbers are insane. But what's insane is his assists compared to what it, his goals are already insane. But Yeah, his assists are his off, the charts, off the charts. Okay, I did not know Gretzky played hockey. I just knew he was a sports person. So <laughs> yeah. here's how prepared I am for this section. Um, it's these, these superstars like Jamie can truly 
ridiculously influence the teams around them. And like Ted approaches it from an emotional and like a person standpoint, but also just in the sense of like sport, like if he learns how to play with his team, it's, it's not just adding Jamie to that number. It's taking that number and multiplying it and uh, applying a synergy to it. Jamie by far gets the most emotional moments out of this episode. Because uh, everyone else, we're kind of just seeing where they're going to be next season. Like, you know, we had our big emotional reveals with all of them, and we're now just seeing who we're kind of seeing who Rebecca's going to be. We're seeing how strong the relationship between Roy and Keeley is becoming. We're seeing that Ted is like, you're right, I care about, I, I, I get to care about winning a little bit here. But so everyone's kind of like, we're showing where they're going to be next season. Jamie's the one that gets the growth because he makes that extra pass. And we see the abusive dad. Whew, that's uncomfortable. Trying to like, kind of trying to force him to be the other Jamie still. Mm-hmm. And we see the small steps that Lasso takes. And God, it's good. He just sends him a like one sentence congratulatory note. Good job. Finally making the extra pass. Did great. Proud of you. Yeah. Here's a little ar- mm-hmm. army man, which has been throughout the entire season, kind of allegory for like protecting yourself mm-hmm. from the outside world. Yeah. fuck, That's all so good. I also had one other soccer question. How insane. So I understand it to mostly be a decently low scoring game, which means it doesn't happen often. So how insane in real life would it be if somebody tied up the game with only like a minute left just to have that team come down and fucking... Oh, it's crushing. It's like, crushing. Does that, that seems like fucking almost never happens type shit. Yeah, I can give you a perfect example of something okay. that happened. Similar, where it was a tight game. Last moments of a, of a game that determined whether or not a team was going to... a. A, f- a final plan to actually get promoted to the Premier mm. League. So you can check it on YouTube for those who are listening. But Wigan was playing um, Leicester, right? And Leicester got a penalty kick. And Wigan saved it. Their pe- uh, their goalie saved it, played it back in. And that team went down and scored, I mean, counterattacked in just seconds and wound up winning the game in the last moments of it was mayhem. So it happens. It happens. Um, I've seen it happen where a team will be down, they'll lose a player, and then the team will knock in a goal in the last couple of seconds and wind up winning it. Wow. I mean, it happens. I wouldn't say a lot, but it happens enough to enough. where it's not uncommon. Okay. I was kind of curious about that because I'm not. I'm like, I know what these scores usually end oh, up being, man. so I can't imagine this I've seen happens some heartbreakers too often, in, in football. Yeah. Here's my other football question. How rare is it for a team to lose 6-0? Because, like, that's just a background thing, but that team got trounced. Um, not not too uncommon. I would say the teams that are typically coming up into, a, like, a premier league, so to speak, they're the teams that are more likely to get trounced like that. Okay. Yeah, just because they don't have the firepower or the funds to have those kind of players that keep you from getting slaughtered like that. So it doesn't happen a lot, once again, but it's not uncommon either. I've seen it. I've seen some teams get trashed. Okay. I'm going to compare it to Bell one last time because I know we have like five Bell listeners at least. Um, <laughs> uh, the moment you go from like just playing at my local practices of the people I know in Missoula to the first time I went to 
Southern California. Actually, I did really well at that event. The first time I went to Idaho and met people from across the country who had all, and there was like 400 people playing. Mm-hmm. And the first time I did that, I was like, yeah, I'm not bad. And then like the first battle hit and I went, I am wildly unprepared for what is happening right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's funny. So I guess um, being that, that that's the season finale, what do you guys hope to see coming up in season two? Is there any characters the, you want to see more of? Or well, the less only of? thing we have gotten of like what to expect for season two is Ted now has a goal, like not just because this whole thing has been kind of moving on from your past and things that don't work. Seeing what's going to happen next, we know Ted wants to. He now has a two-year plan. I'm, we're going to get back in the Premier League and then we're going to win. In his words, the only time we hear him swear, win the whole fucking thing. So I'm excited to see where that goes, but also soccer remains the least important part yeah. of the show to me. I am most interested to see what happens to Roy. Likewise. I want to see Roy, because like, if he became another coach or an assistant trainer or something, I don't know if four coaches is way too many fucking coaches for a team, but like, Roy Danny? brings another... <laughs> I was going to say, ask Hellgate, they got like 12 of them. <laughs> Perfect, hire Roy on as a coach, because Roy does bring... What everyone else lacks, or would, because you know uh, Nate the Great just got made a coach at the end of this season, and mm-hmm. let's see him. He's got all the plans. Uh, but Lass- Roy has the actual experience. Yeah, and I was he's gonna a say captain on top of it too. Lasso and Beard have the like we know how to like bring a team together and make them grow. Roy is the one that can be like you need to be throwing this specific kick. Like mm-hmm. he's got that. Yeah, I don't. He's because we there also, is a there is a trailer out for season two. We watched and it, and he is conspicuously absent. No, from almost he's. I mean, we he's see in him. A, we see him, um, and we see he has like speak. a tenth as much as the other characters we see in that trailer. Though there is a second trailer that we didn't watch, mm. where he does have. I mean, it's just a joke. He doesn't get like where he's going in life, kind of line, but he does get a dedicated speaking line. The only person we haven't seen in any of those trailers is Jamie. That's true. And Jamie's no like now in a different league from the rest of them because they're in Championship League and he's in Premier. Yeah. We might not see Jamie this season. You won't. You don't <laughs> not, think so? not, not unless they play like in a tournament game. Oh yeah, at least that. Which but they'll like, do, but yeah. I mean, we could still see Jamie like on some of the. Oh yeah, more, more like stuff, a, a character development kind of. But we could level. also easily see him. Even Not side plots where we're just yeah. just following Jamie, we could, could or too. we could they could skip him entirely, and when they're back in Premier League, suddenly he's back in their world. Like it's going to be like one extreme or the other, and I don't know which one it is. Yeah, yeah, I need to rewatch because I, unless you guys know for sure, I can't remember if he was loaned to that team. He was loaned to uh, Richmond. From Man City. Okay, so what and that means is that, yeah, Man City owns the rights to him. So unless they can buy him from Man City, which is not going to happen. Now with the, <laughs> with the kind of capital they have, I don't see it happening. Um, there's a chance that also, he could come back no around. there's no way he would agree to go down to championship. No, 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 no. <laughs> I'm, curious, I'm curious if Zorro... Having a breakout game in that finale means that he's getting set up to be a bigger character in the next season. I want to see Sam be much bigger. Yeah. And I want to see Zoro kind of step up to the Sam level of, you know, starting to get speaking lines in, like, every... I'm also super curious about, like, 
the the Welsh kid. <laughs> you know what? Let's just put it this way. I want the the characters I want to see the most from is the soccer players, just because they have the most room for oh yeah character development and growth. We saw who they were, but like everyone else, we saw them become who they're going to be. Most of the soccer players haven't hit that yet. And they all now have to deal with having just been relegated. Yeah. yeah this is a big deal. They've got some kind of meaty like stuff they can go with, especially since we don't have the divorce. I mean, I'm sure there'll still be Ted's relationship filling up a lot of room, but like, hey, I got divorced takes up a huge part of season one. Yeah. Do you think Flo comes back? I feel like she has to. If not this season, the next. I've heard that the plan is for this to be a three-season show. Yeah. So there's no way we don't see Flo again. How much we see Flo again is up in the air. I could... I'm not certain, but I could <sighs> see a romance developing between Rebecca and Ted. Yeah, I... I'm not saying they should or shouldn't. I'm saying I could see how it could get set up. I feel like they've set that up in the perfect way where they could go with it and it would make sense. Or they could not and it would... would still make sense. Perfect sense, yeah. Um, but if they don't, I... I kind of liked Flo. I think it'd be kind of cute if her and Ted ended up together. I need more flow before I decide whether I want them to end up one way. I know it's a weird sentence. Um, uh, to, to decide more one, flow. <laughs> one way or the other, because as I said, she's real strong. Like she comes on real strong in the episode. But again, she's kind of playing a role for her friend who's hurting that episode. So like, I need to see her be vulnerable before I really know what I think of the idea of like a real romance between her and Ted, or at least a long term. I want more Rebecca singing. Oh yeah. That'd be cool. Honestly, I want this damn show to be like a 25 episode season, like most American sitcoms. Cause I just want so much more, but also the fact that they only do it in 10 episodes helps them keep it so tight. And it seems like we're going to getting from the trailer, like we're going to be getting more Danny Rojas, but like, I'm curious what to do with Danny. It also looked like Danny was not playing well. Hmm. And so what are you going to do? Danny, the beautiful gold, uh, what is it? <laughs> Raven haired golden retriever. <laughs> yes. Whose entire thing is like, he's an ace. He's great at football. Even if his defense is bad. Um, if he starts playing bad, does Danny know how to deal with that? So I think that would be like, if you're going to take Danny anywhere, Danny failing would be an interesting kind of approach, especially since this show very much seems willing to let people fail. Yeah, I don't know. Or lose, not, not fail, lose, because they have that like, you didn't win, but you did succeed, which I thought was important, mm -hmm. like an important lesson in this show. Oh, 23rd needs to get here so we get that new season started. Well, we've talked for about two and a half weeks at this point, so it might be. Yeah, that's <laughs> true. <laughs> um, oh, recommendations before we go anywhere. Yeah. Unless yeah. you had any last... I'm sorry, do either of you have any last thoughts on this other than watch it? Yeah, Please. I'd say that. Uh, I'd say that. <laughs> well, knowing what I do know about football and how... Uh, English football works is usually with relegation. I've already talked. There's a huge financial loss, 
So it's going to be interesting to see how they, you know, incorporate that into it with Rebecca being the owner and whether her heart's in it, which I think she probably will be. But it sure looked like it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then on top of that, you have to rely on your captains, like, you know, Roy and people like that. And also youth. That's where, like, youth development really comes into play. So you might get a, an influx of some younger guys coming in mm-hmm. throughout the season. So it'll be interesting to see how they do that. Hell yeah. I don't have anything else. All right, watch it, please. I'm begging you, literally begging you. Uh, recommendations. Yeah, I have a weird one, because uh, in the season finale, Ted invokes the, the miracle speech, Do You Believe in Miracles? So I didn't even know that was from a thing. I'm going to recommend the uh, ESPN 30 for 30 documentary uh, of miracles and men, which I found to be an amazing story and way more engrossing than I ever thought it would be because I haven't been into, like, I haven't given a shit about hockey since I was in, like, first grade. Miracle and ice. And of miracles of men and men tells... Uh, the story of the miracle on ice of the the U.S. Olympic hockey team beating the Russian Olympic hockey team from the Russian perspective. Oh, man. Yeah, that's a huge... I've seen that. It's really good. It's really good. It ends up getting into the story of, like, pulling the first uh, players across the Iron Curtain. Yeah. Yeah, that's some heavy shit right there. Now I care. Um, sorry, that sounds mean. Like, uh, but, like... <laughs> It it goes from it's this weird thing because it's one of the the greatest upsets in the whole history of sports, and so you hear it from the losing side, and how it was kind of just a weird off day for them, and like they didn't care because they literally won everything else. Yeah, <laughs> they were so decorated at that point. <laughs> like, well, that sucked, but it's fine. Uh, I don't know. I found it to be way more interesting and engrossing than I ever thought it would be. It turns into a fantastic, crazy story when they're first bringing some of those players over. Um, Yeah, 30 for 30 of Miracles and Men. Um, Mine is actually the only other thing I've been ingesting the last two, because it's my favorite technique of I don't know what to recommend, what else have I been watching. Uh, CC and I are catching up on Star Wars The Bad Batch. Oh, cool. And it's just sick. It's so cool. Um, it is not as deep as some of the other Star Wars, but it's also the first season. So, like, Clone Wars and Rebels both get pretty heavy at points, but it takes a while to build to that. Mm-hmm. And I see where they can. And because they're on Disney+, Plus, and these animators have been doing this job for years at this point, it is gorgeous. It's still in the very same style as, like, Clone Wars and Rebels, which I know works for some and works for do- doesn't for others. But, like... It is some luscious animation. It is just so, like, smooth and detailed. And some of the subtlety of expression that they were not able to pull off when they were working on a Disney Channel budget. Like, oh, yeah. Um, Yeah, at some point I'll actually get caught up on Clone Wars so that I can start it on Bad Batch. And Rebels. And Rebels. There's so much. (laughs) I'm getting there. You guys can't see it, but I'm giving him the eyes right now. <laughs> I just, I have to break away from watching Ted Lasso for the 30th time first. Well, <laughs> right side. Next week, we're watching some Jodie Whittaker Doctor Who, finally. That's right. Uh, first three episodes? First three episodes. It kind of takes three episodes for the, like, 
new TARDIS team to really form. So that seems like the way to go for it. That sounds good to me. I'm positive I've seen those ones before. Uh, but I don't remember them that well, so I am super excited to get to watch them again. I think I've only seen them once, which, you know, the other episodes we've done are episodes that I have watched like a hundred times, so that's pretty exciting to go. Yeah, that'll be fun. Um, But that's next time. Mm -hmm. For this time, I'm Tyler. I'm Zach. Dismissed! And thank you, Danny. Hi everybody, General Tyler here. If you like the show, please hit subscribe however you're listening to us right now. Also, if you could rate and review us however you're listening to us right now, or preferably over at Apple Podcasts, we would super appreciate it, as the whole world is ran on algorithms, and we want to be all up in them, getting our voice out to more places. Uh, Also, I mean, tell your friends, we always appreciate that. Uh, If you want to get in contact with us, ask us questions, give us comments, Email us, generalnerderypod at gmail.com. You can also contact us through our website, www.generalnerdcast.com. While you're there, check out all of our back catalog, or click the links up at the top as we are part of the Earverm Podcast Network. Uh, Go check out all of our sister shows. We're involved with most of them, so if you already like listening to us talk, it might be in your best interest. And if you want to check out everything from the network, head over to earverm.com, E-A-R-V-V-Y-R-M.com. We'd super appreciate it. Love you all. Have a good one.